So it is chilly here, but NFL owner meetings are where, Kevin? New York. And it is like 95 degrees scorching <laughs> hot at the NFL owners meetings, right? Uh, indeed. Jim Mercer striking that flame yesterday afternoon. I've been fortunate to go to several NFL owners meetings over the years. Um, I consider them to be extremely boring and not a lot of super headline driven with controversy and, you know, in yesterday's case, I would say some accountability from someone that matters. And I thought that was really key with Jim Mercer's comments yesterday. Certainly we'll dive into those today. Good Wednesday morning to you. As Jake said, it is a chilly start to this Wednesday morning. Uh, outside of just Jim Mercer's comments, ton to get to today with the Pacers opening up their 2022-2023 season tonight with the Washington Wizards in town. The Yankees advance thanks to Mr. Stanton and Mr. Judge. I'm not sure if Kyle Schwarber's homer has landed yet. Sam Fritz, congrats to your Phillies on a 2-0 win to start the NLCS. Uh, and then the Colts get back to practice in a massive one coming up on Sunday in Nashville. Uh, Jake, I'll just start here. I I respect majorly what Jim Mercer did yesterday. Um, Jim Mercer is an admitted flawed individual. And for someone in a position of authority to publicly go after another person in a position of authority, I think is rare in today's climate. It's very rare in the NFL. And for someone like Jim Irsay, who I think has been heavily influenced by his three daughters and seven granddaughters, what Daniel Snyder uh, reportedly has allowed to have happen, not only in his organization, but actions that he has had himself, uh, that clearly has struck a chord with Jim Mercer. And when Jerry Jones is saying nothing and Robert Kraft is saying nothing and every other owner is saying nothing, for Jim Mercer to stand up and say something, I think is a step forward, again, across all businesses, let alone the NFL. Uh, Jerry Jones and Robert Kraft said plenty it was just to each other about something completely different. I don't know if you saw that, but they apparently had it out and – uh, Jerry Jones at one point told Robert Kraft, don't blank with me. I, that's a whole different talk show. But with the Ursay situation, and we'll get into it later, I, I don't disagree with you at all, Kevin. I have concern about the approach. And not from Jim Ursay's standpoint, but in terms of totality of what it could mean, looking at it from the other side. So we'll get into that. Uh, coming up a little bit later in the show. But it is very interesting to me. The one thing before we get uh, into that, which we'll do, you know, coming up here in 20 minutes or so, presumably. The one thing I, I will ask of you to enlighten me on, we've known that Daniel Snyder is a jerk for a long time, and we've known that there have been very questionable things that have been alleged about his organization and what he has allowed to have happen under his watch as the owner of the Washington Commanders. We've known about that for some time. What I didn't see was like, was there something that came out within the last 48 hours or other than 
allegations that Snyder had hired a private detective against the other owners and almost kind of blackmailed. Was there anything in terms of information about people in the organization? Were there any new allegations that came out, or was this the simmering of old news that came into light and boiled over because of the latest allegation that Daniel Snyder had dug up dirt on other owners. Yeah, I think the private investigator report that you're bringing up is one of like maybe like six or seven things in that ESPN article last week that interviewed over 30 people affiliated with the Washington franchise, people that have worked for Daniel Snyder, people around the NFL, that whether it is the sexual harassment allegation against Snyder um, or the sexual assault allegation, the sexual harassment within the Washington organization. And obviously, I think those are the tip of the iceberg. And then a little bit below that, you have, um, I think, frustration around the league that there's been an inability for Daniel Snyder to secure a new stadium. I think people look at the Washington brand of a football team and think there is no way, shape, or form their revenue should not be top five or top ten in the yeah. NFL. Yeah. And it's near the bottom of the league. So I think that frustrates owners. Um, and again, this all of this should be below the sexual assault, sexual harassment lawsuits. Um, I think another thing that probably really pissed off Ursay in that ESPN piece was Daniel Snyder attacking the ownership and saying that it's a mafia, they all hate each other. Jim Ursay in high regard, holds his stewardship to the shield. And I know a lot of people might just laugh at that or be like, who cares? Jake, you've been around Jim Mercer enough. He cares a lot about the history of the NFL. Totally, yeah. As and, much as probably. Matter of fact, Jim Mercer is probably as rooted, not named Rooney and not named... Clark you know, Hunt, maybe? Yeah, yeah. I mean, he is as rooted to... You want to talk about somebody that, you know, Jim Irsay came obviously not out of the womb within ownership because it was when his father, although I take that back, what year did uh, Robert Irsay buy the Rams and flip them to the Colts? I mean, it was initially yeah, for Irsay's right? sister, yeah, but basically he's grown up around it his entire life. And it does, you're right, it does mean a great deal to him. I also think that Jim Irsay has a high reverence for the fraternal feeling and the familial feeling of ownership. Basically, I think he felt personally attacked by those comments. And he took it upon himself yesterday. And I thought it was interesting, and Greg Doyle noted this in his column, when that report came out last week about Daniel Snyder basically saying, I've got dirt on owners all around the NFL, and I'm not afraid to expose them if they want to try and get me out of the league. Jim Mercer declined comment through a spokesperson to Greg Doyle, but yet felt the need yesterday in front of a much more of a national media audience at the owners' meetings in New York with every major NFL media member there to go ahead and do that with NFL PR standing right behind him, with Pete Ward, the Colt COO, standing right there as well. This was a very calculated move by Ursay in that he knew the type of mic he had yesterday, and nothing against you know Doyle and the Indy Star, anything like that. Um, and Greg admitted that in his column that there was a reason why Ursay waited until yesterday. Um, I was talking with someone yesterday who worked for Daniel Snyder, and 
to summarize their thoughts on him as an owner. Um, And I quote, complete and total a-hole, insane, inept, and a petulant child. Oh, the last part, undoubtedly, right? That was the description of Daniel Snyder. Um, We'll see where we go from here. Today, the owners' meetings continue in New York. Jim Mersey, I don't think he walks out on that ledge if he doesn't feel like they can garner the 24 of 32 vote. And the investigation is still ongoing. So, Roger Goodell, as you would expect from Roger Goodell, walked the line yesterday and said, you know, I'll withhold, you know, comment until the investigation is over. And for what it's worth, I think Ursay did mention that of like, I think there's merit there, but we need to let the investigation play out. And obviously, Jake, when the commanders come to Lucas Oil Stadium here in a few weeks, uh, that should be interesting. Uh, we will dig much deeper into that coming up in about 20 minutes here. By the way, Jim Mercer was 12, uh, either 12 or 13 years old, according to Scotty, when uh, his father got into NFL ownership. Uh, last night, and again, tonight, Pacers getting underway at Gamebridge Fieldhouse. Season tips off. Did you watch any of the NBA last night? I watched a little bit. I did love the Celtics jerseys. Uh, the Celtics, they were like the, they had kind of the gold in them, right? Yeah. Uh, some great games last night, actually. I listen, the NBA knows what they're doing, right? They tried out the, the big stars on night number one. I, I did watch a little more baseball than I did. I did NBA. as well. Kyle Schwarber. Kyle Schwarber took a U Darvish pitch. And I mean, it took, uh, three quarters of a second. To get out of the yard, of course, it turned out to not even be needed because one was enough as the Phillies topped the Padres 2-0. Phil's now up one game love in the NLCS. 488, was that the tape measure for yeah, I, Harper you know, I get for uh, Schorber? I get kind of lost in the whole, like, well, the bat speed and the trajectory and the velocity. and it, Okay, was that a home run? Something about lefties, like the Harper swing and then Schorber. It's just beautiful. Like I, I think about this often, Jacob. Like, if I could replicate a professional athlete doing something, I feel like hitting a home run in a major league ballpark in that sort of setting would be high up on the list. You know, would you want to dunk in an NBA game? You know, whatever. Throw a touchdown in the Super Bowl. I feel like swinging the bat like Kyle Schwarber can swing the bat would be really high up on the list. How about Griffey? I well, mean, like, certainly. How much? Laugh if you must. But for left-handed batters, how many of those guys grew up as a young child looking at Ken Griffey Jr. swing and, and replicating that, and then they're off and – I'm not saying that what makes – I mean, you got to do a lot, right? But, I mean, just that natural swing. Right. I, I've shared this story before, but I'll, I'll, I'll say it again for those that maybe have not heard it. I covered the IU baseball team back in 2011, and on that team they had a lot of – you know, program, probably some of their best hitters, home run guys of their program's history, Alex Alec Dickerson, Alec Dickerson, Alex Dickerson, uh, Jared Sabrin, and they were losing them either to the draft or to graduation. So I asked Tracy Smith, the manager, I'm like, man, what are you going to do? And he's like, well, I've got this pudgy linebacker from Cincinnati that I feel like if he focuses on baseball, he's got a real chance to be a power hitter for us. And that right field fence there, that's pretty short. And I like my chances of him committing to baseball full-time and being a 20-homer guy for us here uh, at IU. And sure enough, Kyle Schwarber 
followed through on that and delivered a trip to the College World Series for Tracy Smith. Sam Travis, a big hitter for them as well. But, uh, yeah, Kyle Schwarber was a pretty high-level baseball player or uh, football player in the Cincinnati high school ranks. Do you remember Vincent Edwards that played at Purdue? Sure. He was a nice player. They were – I'm – I'm 99% certain this is correct. Didn't he go to high school with Kyle Schwarber and they were in a high school play together? Really? 99% certain that's correct. He was – Vincent Edwards was a nice player, by the way. I liked him at Purdue. Um, but I remember interviewing one of the two. I can't remember which one. Saying, oh, you guys went to high school together. And I'm like, yeah, we probably uh, haven't mentioned this a lot, but we actually were in a musical in high school together. I'm like, really? I, okay. I, I did not know that. That's yeah. That's awesome. Um, but it is, you know, this time of year, Kevin, we talked about it, the major league baseball playoffs, when the air turns cold in October, it's funny because baseball being the boys of summer, it's this time of year when people have on their hoodies and are kind of bundled up with the tension of the game that is magical to me about baseball. It's not the, the June and July games, the double headers of the boys of summer and listening to it late night on a crackling radio while waiting in line to get ice cream. That's endearing to me about baseball. It's the drama of October, quite frankly. Are we cheering for the Yankees? Are they the underdog? Excuse you? Are they <laughs> are they America's team in the ALCS right now? Is it the cheaters versus the Yankees? That's a really good point. I think most people would be rooting for the Yankees, yes. Sam, was that blasphemy? I personally... And you are obviously an admitted Phillies fan, so you've got your own rooting interest on the opposite side of the bracket. I, I think that it doesn't matter whether or not we get the Phillies or the Astros. I'm sorry, the Yankees or the Astros. It definitely matters if we get the Phillies. Um, I think either way, America will be... Yeah, America will side at the NL will, team. ...will be satisfied in the Phillies delivering justice to either you know, the bandwagon team or the cheating team. Either way, the I Phillies, would agree, but let's focus on the ALCS. I, I guess, okay, if you want an answer just between those two teams, I actually would probably take the Astros. I think that the Phillies stand a better chance of beating the Astros in the World Series. Well, that's questioning Sam's integrity here a little bit with wanting to cheer for the in Astros. Terms of the, in terms of the overall fan, for the 90% of base or, or sports fans in America, though, Sam, that don't have a rooting interest. Right. Or people that are fans of the Cardinals, Reds, Diamondbacks, Mariners, or Rays. The majority of those, I would think, would be rooting for the New York Yankees over the Astros. And not to act like I'm saying the Yankees are UMBC here, but the Astros have been to the World Series far more often in recent years than the Yankees. If you do want to see something a little bit new, that's it. I either mean, Yankees or Astros. I mean, what, 2009? Is that it? He, Last time for the Yankees when, in the World Series? When the Astros first arrived, and the Astros went through a process like the Philadelphia 76ers did, like your Indiana Pacers are about to start, where... They scaled it all the way down. They stripped all the paint, right? And they were terrible there for a year or two. But you knew they were accumulating massive young talent. And then once it all came together, it came together and they were really good. And they were really fun. You know, and Springer hitting moonshots and Altuve hitting moonshots. And there was a lot to like about the Houston Astros. And people were like, hey, this is fun. They've got like this revamped logo and uniforms and they got rid of the rainbow Nolan Ryan things and they've got this weird hill out in their outfield and this indoor outdoor stadium that's cool and people enjoyed it and Ron and then that's right and then like every other team this the Atlanta Braves went through this for a while 
you know, like every team that arrives on the scene and introduces themselves, people eventually get tired of it. And they start to feel like that fan base is entitled and spoiled and they, you know, people get jealous. But then the whole cheating allegation against the Astros organization comes out and is proven. And I think, Kevin, it wasn't even so much to people the fact that the Astros were busted for cheating as much as it was they seemingly didn't care. Right. Mm -hmm. And that's where people were like, yeah, enough. And so, yes, the New York Yankees, the pinstripe, more world championships than anybody, unlimited checkbook, tabulation of everybody else's groomed players that they then signed to big-time free agent contracts and put out on the field, and the conglomeration and all-star team of everyone else's scouting and development work, the, those New York Yankees are indeed the lovable little gang against the evil empire of the Houston Astros, as crazy as that sounds. Yes. Jimmy Cook in the hallway right now waiting for Sam Fritz during the break to have a word <laughs> with him. It, this is a – it's not apples to apples, Jake, so I reluctantly even try to make this cop. But in a way, the Astros just cockiness and thinking that they could get away with what they did and lack of remorse when it became public – it's a little bit reminiscent of what Daniel Snyder thinks he is doing right now. Yes, and, and, I think that's fair. And, and again, very, very different allegations with Daniel Snyder versus the Astros. I'm not necessarily comparing those two, but it's people with fame, people with you know money that just think they can do anything. Deshaun Watson, like, and that really. Uh, pisses me off. Tonight, the Pacers in action. Their season underway. Our coverage begins at 6.30. I believe that's the second time it, this morning you've used the, the P.O.'d reference. Like, Have I? Yeah, the vinegar on the Cheerios this morning. Well, I'm certainly not pissed about. The stream is working. <laughs> that's three for three. Uh, Kurt, Kurt in Arkansas said, hey. We love the fact that I'd like to know how many states we have represented among our listening app audience. 31. Ar Arkansas would be one. Maine, I think, would be two, right? Yes, Matthew and, from Maine. And then I think we hit a wall. Oh, I think we've got – I think we have the surrounding state. The Great Lakes region is is well covered. Um, Mr. Woods, right, in Georgia? Jelani Woods is Oh, that's okay. Gregory. Fair. Fair. Yeah, that's fair. Um, maybe some people in the D.C. area for the Wizards. So maybe Virginia and Maryland tonight. Well, they, there might be some people in the D.C. area for the Commanders <laughs> well, yeah. too, right? That is a uh, that's a good point. Non-Ben Matherin division, Jake, your storylines of the Pacers this season. Uh, storylines, you know, one of them that I'm interested in that I asked Carlisle yesterday, and I get why he's not going to answer it. I probably took too long to get to it. What I should have simply said, and I apologize and, and admit my error here, instead of presenting a scenario to Carlisle, I should have simply said, which is the bigger priority? The immediacy if a game is within hand this year or seeing things that are will will better better serve you in the long run? And I think that's what's going to be of interest to me because there are going to be nights I think they're going to look really good and you're going to think, wow, here they go. They found their combination. But do they have to... I'm not going to say tank, but work different combinations and see different things through, not for that particular game, but for the long term. Also, the development of Tyrese Halliburton and who, what players most appear 
to be benefiting from playing with him in his development and who they determine are going to be like his run with guys. I thought the question that you asked Carlisle was very relevant. I, I know, it, again, it kind of teetered, like you said, down the path of hypotheticals and end-of-game situations in the spring. But to me, it's play the vets or play the rookies. That, I think, is the dilemma of for, for Carlisle because he's the head coach. He decides playing time. Right. That balance all season long is going to be really interesting for me to watch. And then I think non-Matherin division, it's – was Jalen Smith a 20-game – guy on a you know 20 win team to analogy that you've made quite often Jake is Aaron Neesmith Jalen Smith like uh, is Tyrese Halliburton a legit top seven point guard in the league uh, those are some questions that I have moving forward um, again non-Matherin division for me and then obviously you know our Turner and Heald on this team in March well, that's the, the big what thing do is you get for them etc Turner and Heald are coveted on this team which is a 30 win team does that mean that Turner and Heald are guys that are coveted elsewhere and you can get resources back for them or are they seen by the rest of the league as guys that are nice players on a 30 win team I, I mean I, I'm not saying that's the case I don't know that answer right but I think it's interesting you know we're going to find out right on paper, this three-game stretch right out of the gate. You're looking at two and one, oh, right? Oh, boy, Jake, I need two and one bad. It is probably the easiest three-game stretch you'll have all year. Again, on paper, it's at home. It's the Wizards, Spurs, and Pistons. They've got to be three of the bottom, what, five or six teams and win-loss total? Yeah. I don't know. Maybe yes. the Pistons are a little higher, but. Kevin is all I about. I really his, need tonight. <laughs> his investment of thirty wins. You went with thirty over, 30, right? Uh huh. Thirty. And just to um, bring everybody up to speed on that, that was plus four thirty. The odds on that. So that would be. I, I don't know if I publicly want to say the amount that I put down, but that would be like putting down ten dollars to win forty three dollars. Thirty and fifty two. Doesn't that seem doable when you say it out loud? Or thirty two and fifty. It does unless the team doesn't want to go 30-52. and 52. Tonight, a two-and-a-half-point underdog. <laughs> so, again, this would fall in the games that I would need. Bradley Beal, Christophe Porzingis, Kyle Kuzma, Johnny Davis, and company for the Washington Wizards. Uh, Stephen Holder going to join us at 8 o'clock. I know a lot of Stephen's colleagues were at the NFL owners' meetings, or I guess still are, in New York. So, we'll chat with him. More about the Jim Irsay comments from yesterday and also look ahead to Sunday. Um, we can play some Frank Reich audio a little bit later. The no huddle, does that need to be a staple? Will that be a staple? I think that's an interesting debate, at least in Frank Reich's eyes. A couple of depth chart notes for the Colts to hit on um, as well. And uh, Chris Tenary, voice TV voice of the Pacers at 9-10 today. Um, Jake, we had a couple people reach out. Jeremy. In North Carolina. Okay. Mark in Nova Scotia. No, come on. Yes. Um, this person said his name was Holton. I, I have a feeling it. Nova Scotia, Hilton. really? Hilton in Georgia. Uh, Jimmy in Florida. I'd like to know more about Nova Scotia. Now, no he, I think of Nova Scotia as like he's he's like riding waves as a fisherman somewhere out on a like a. Totally stereotypical. It's beautiful, Nova Scotia, from what I understand, but that's cool. I assume a Colts fan in Nova Scotia, right? 
That's a good question. I guess we'll have to. Very cool. Get more into details. Matthew goes, admit it, Kevin, uh, Max isn't going to college, is he? Well, um, <laughs> you know, find me in April. There are different levels of college. I'm thinking <laughs> Ivy League with this bet, but it very well could be online. Ivy League or Ivy Tech, right? <laughs> the difference is negligible. I'm Kevin Bowen, Jake Query, Sam Fritz here on a cold start to this Wednesday morning in Indianapolis. Kevin Aquary, 93.5, 107.5, The Fan. Yeah, those underdog New York Yankees now taking on the Houston Astros. They are winners yesterday in Game 5 of the ALDS. Home run by Giancarlo Stanton, three-run shot. I thought he was fouling that ball off, and next thing you know, it's over the fence for a three-run shot. Aaron Judge followed up in the second. They're up 4 nothing, and they beat the Guardians and now move on today to the ALCS Game 1. Justin Verlander waiting in Houston. Curious to see how he bounces back from his struggles in the ALDS. That will be a 737, I want to say, is the first pitch there. A Phillies Padres will then slide into the afternoon slot, 435. The Phillies take game one from the Padres last night. 2 nothing. Zach Wheeler allows two hits in seven innings, and Bryce Harper and Kyle Schwarber go yard. Uh, NBA last night, it was Boston over Philadelphia, 126-117. to The dynamic duo of... Jason Tatum and Jalen Brown picking up where they left off last year. 70 points between them, 35 each. Tatum added 12 boards. Also, Golden State over the Lakers, 123-109. Steph Curry with 33, Andrew Wiggins with 20. LeBron James had 31 points, 14 rebounds for the Lakers, which is impressive because he's like 52 years old. Uh, Malcolm Brogdon, Jake, off the bench, 16 points for the Celtics, 24 minutes. Noah Vonley off the bench for the Celtics. Uh, with a bucket in 20 minutes wow. of action. <laughs> oh, How about pulling the name from the past, right? man. Yeah. Von, like, boy, he's played. All he was sudden, working at Von Mar last year, wasn't all he? All of a sudden, you look up and you're like, has that dude been in the league for like a decade now? He was out of the league for a while, I'm fairly certain, of Von Lee, right? Oh, boy, I, I think Portland released him. Like I'd I said, be, he was working at Von Mar and then... I'd be lying to you if I knew the whole Noah Von Lee. Brad it, Stevens was walking through Von Mar and he's like, oh, hey. I always kind of liked his game. Uh, tonight, it's the Pacers and the Wizards. Again, two-and-a-half-point underdogs, the Pacers, in this season opener. Here was Rick Carlisle yesterday at practice on a very new-look Pacers season coming up. Very, very excited, and uh, you know, camp's been good. It, it gets a little long at this point, so um, you know, it's going to be good to have our regular crowd in there You know, on opening night. And, uh, We've got an exciting young group that's anxious to play. Again, 7 o'clock tip at the Fieldhouse. Other games of note tonight, although it's hard to say that any game is of note at this point in the year. Pelicans and Nets uh, of significance only because some of the stars that will be playing in that game, including Zion Williamson's healthy now, right? I believe so, yep. I mean, at least this week, right? Uh, Cavaliers and Raptors, one of the games on the slate. Also, this game is of interest a little bit. Maybe not so much now, but moving forward throughout the course of the year, kind of a check-in on these two teams. Charlotte and San Antonio, notably San Antonio, because San Antonio is one of those that has a very similar game plan to Indiana, and that is the battle for Webinyama. Am I saying yeah, that name what, correctly? How are we doing? Wobbling for Webinyama? Is that what it is? <laughs> Wobble it like Weeble Wobbles? Did you ever have Weeble Wobbles? I, I did not, know. Weeble wobbles wobble, but they don't fall down. You're hoping that like somebody falls down. Is that it? 
Or is that what you're getting at? Something for Scoot, right? What, what, what would you suck for Scoot? Doesn't sound great, but those are my <laughs> essence popping in my head. That doesn't necessarily completely, uh, completely. Uh, no, Daniel Tice. Have the ring of suck for luck tonight for the Pacers. Aaron Neesmith questionable with a foot injury. Has Daniel Tice been to Marion County? Do we know this yet? Every time I just feel like I see him in street clothes. I'm like, are they just waiting to trade him? Is he still resting from the Euro tournament? So Isaiah Jackson, a lot of minutes behind Miles Turner tonight. All right, let's get back in the Colts conversation. Some Jim Irsay comments that certainly struck a national chord yesterday, rightfully so. We'll hit on that and a look ahead to this Sunday. It is a massive one down in Nashville. The Titans coming off the bye. It'll be Colts and Titans Sunday at 1. We'll chat about it more next. Kevin Aquari, 93.5, 107.5, The Fan. Eighteen minutes before the hour of eight o'clock. Good morning to you on a what is today? Wednesday? I almost said Tuesday. Wednesday, the nineteenth of October. Thank you. Uh, NFL owners meetings taking place in New York. Kevin, get us up to speed for those that are just joining us this morning, and then we will both opine as to what it means or what may come of it. Jim Mercer's comments regarding the controversial owner of the Washington Commanders, Daniel Snyder. Yeah, quarterly NFL meetings, so the fall meetings right now going on in New York. Um, you know, talking about roughing the passer penalties, or I saw yesterday NFL announcing a game on Black Friday starting next year. That will be on Amazon. Um, so a lot of other league items to get to. Um, but Daniel Snyder in the news, and I think the ESPN article that highlighted pretty much everything um, from a lawsuit standpoint, Daniel Snyder being accused for um, sexual assault by an employee, former employee of the Washington franchise, sexual harassment, workplace culture, um, and then I think a lot of just kind of business questions about the inability to secure a new stadium in that area, some financial impropriety as well. Um, I think that is it, – it's a long list of frustrations that owners have and, and the fan base. I don't think you'll find a Washington commander fan that is a fan of Daniel Snyder. Um, and so yesterday, Jim Mercer, for the first time, uh, public, um, one of the only, pretty much the only NFL owner who has said anything close to this about Daniel Snyder and that he believes there is some merit to potentially vote Daniel Snyder out of the NFL and force a sale of his team. Here was Jim Irsay yesterday from the owners' meetings. What's happened in the workplace, you know, having three daughters, seven granddaughters, um, to me, um, it's something that I think serious consideration has to be given to the removal, and we have complete authority to do that. Kevin, here are... First off, I don't know how anybody can't applaud that, right? Especially when he points out the fact that he is, you know, a man that is now sensitive to the emotions, the feelings in the workplace for females because of his daughters. You would know that better than I, but you have you have mentioned before that you believe that he is greatly influenced, right, by 
Um, Greatly influenced. By what his daughters tell him in regards to women in the workplace, right? I think his youngest daughter, Kaylin, has helped spearhead this Kicking the Stigma campaign we've seen more and more over the last couple of years. I think Jim Irsay is very, very cognizant. And I've been fortunate to see him when the cameras are off with his family. And it's real. It's genuine. It's it's grandpa stuff with his granddaughters and grandsons and, and with his daughters. It's very it, – it, it's a genuine heart. And I think that's a big reason why you heard Ursay so public with it yesterday. Several years ago, when David Letterman was still in his prime, or maybe on the, the, the outer skirts of his prime, but still on primetime television or late-night television more specifically – there were allegations made against him, which were true. Uh, so they weren't allegations. There were he was outed for having had uh, an affair with a coworker or a subordinate, quite frankly. And he was essentially on the precipice of being blackmailed for that. And so David Letterman came out and said, "You know what? Somebody is threatening to blackmail me with this information, so I'm going to tell you right now on my television show, it's true. I made an error in judgment. I had an affair, da-da-da-da. And he he took the the meat from the Wolverine, and he, he threw it all out there and said, here I am. This is what I did wrong. So now that I've let all of you know about that, then anybody that wants to try to bribe me to keep it quiet, come at. Have at. And Jim Irsay is, as you had mentioned earlier, Kevin, an individual who's had flaws in the past. When I say flaws, I mean he is human, and he has had his indiscretions, of which we know. There, We know about the fact that he was you know, pulled over with a huge amount of cash and pills in his car, and that he has gone through the journey of addiction and recovery and all of those things. Jim Mercer would be the first to tell you that while I believe him to be an extremely kind individual, he also is an individual who in his past, like all of us, has flaws. When Daniel Snyder came out this week and essentially, even though he didn't directly say it, it was insinuated that Daniel Snyder was trying to solidify his place as an NFL owner by saying that he had hired private detectives or telling people allegedly that he'd hired private detectives against the other owners of the NFL. That was Daniel Snyder's, again, allegedly warning shot to the other owners of, you better tread lightly. And so Jim Irsay pulled a David Letterman. And Jim Irsay was the one that stood up front and said, you know what? I'll be the one that falls on that sword for my other fellow owners because come after me, because there's no indiscretion about me people don't already know about. So have at, because everything that you might be able to dig up on me is already public record. So I will be the one to stand up for my fellow owners and say this to let you know, fine, come after me. Do I think that other owners went to Jim Mercer and said, can you be the one that does this for us? I don't think that's the case. I think Jim Mercer as a man had the fortitude to say and to know, you know what? I'll take that meat right away from the Wolverine. The only hesitation I have with any of it, Kevin, and I'm not, again, I'm playing devil's advocate here. I am in support of Jim Mercer calling out the guy that I believe is the biggest scumbag owner in sports in Daniel Snyder and a an absolutely narcissistic little puke. But all of that to be said, at this point, 
as much as I hate saying this, because I don't want to defend Daniel Snyder, I'm playing devil's advocate. At this point, all of these things are still part of an ongoing investigation and are allegations and not yet proven fact with an investigation, as I understand it, that has not yet been completed. And so, therefore, my only fear here is that Jim Mersey's outspoken comments, even though they were precipitated by Daniel, the report about Daniel Snyder having information and et cetera, but my only fear is that Jim Mersey may have spoken too early and as a result of that interrupted the possibility of then being able to completely slam down on Daniel Snyder because these are still, while very believable and probably true, these are still allegations that have yet to be concluded by an investigation. Again, we can play more of the Ursay audio, Jake. I don't think he ever says, like, he has to sell the team. We have to vote him out of the league. Like, he doesn't walk that full line of, like, this is an ultimatum of he is absolutely gone. I think he kind of covers himself in saying there is merit for consideration here. It, it, to me, it was a warning shot from Ursay. It was a acknowledgement of, yes, the investigations are still ongoing, and – if they indeed find what is being reported or accused in the lawsuits, then he's got to go. That that's the vibe that I got from Ursay yesterday, and yeah, listening I think he, he to his comment. To me, it fair. was a very public warning shot, which again is unprecedented from a glorified NFL owner boys club that just looks to cover up everyone else. I think um, for the vast majority of the history of the NFL. And again, these allegations are on another level. Um, But I just feel like, Jake, and this is not just for the NFL, I just don't think we have people in positions of authority willing to take such a public stance on other people in positions of authority, especially when they're in business or in cahoots together. And that's where I commend Jim Mercer for that. And as you laid out, the fact that he has past history that is very public and has you know served his penance that he probably did feel more comfortable he the fact that he is the father of three daughters and seven granddaughters he probably feels more of a I need to carry the torch in this situation um and I think the fact that this is not the Washington D.C. noon to three show three to six show whatever I wonder what the name of those shows are saying that Daniel Snyder must go. This is not, you know, somebody that would be a lower level or not on the same rung. This is an equivalent of Daniel Snyder, a peer of him, and that, to me, sends a very, very strong message. And I think that's what we need to see more of from a societal standpoint of when people that are in positions of authority and think that fame and money is a cure-all and they can get away with this sort of stuff— the only way, in my opinion, it's going to somewhat stop, or maybe people might be a little bit more hesitant, is if you get people like an Ursa, and, and I get it. People are like, well, Ursa, pot calling the kettle black. I strongly disagree with that. This is a p- person that has much more history in the NFL and believes that 24 of 32 owners could outs Daniel Snyder. And when a position that is going to make one of those votes, when a person does that, that to me carries more clout. And that sends a very strong message, not only to Daniel Snyder, but I think owners across the NFL. And we've seen it in the NBA with Donald Sterling and Robert Sarver that 
when you get people that have that sort of clout and have that fame that call out others that are of a similar rung, that's what it takes to finally take action on these things that I think have been brushed under the rug for far too far too long. The difference between Jim Irsay and Daniel Snyder is that Jim Irsay, the NFL, the league itself is like a surrogate father to Jim Irsay. The National Football League, Jim Irsay had a father that he, Jim Irsay, would make no bones about the fact that he had a very unstable father figure. But the NFL created for Jim Irsay or allowed for Jim Irsay a stability that his father did not. And so Jim Irsay takes the National Football League and the reputation of the National Football League far deeper into his heart than someone like a Daniel Snyder who bought his way into it because he is an egomaniac that wanted to be able to throw his weight around. That's number one. Number two, um, Jim Irsay is someone, Kevin, I truly believe this. I believe that when Jim Irsay in the past has had his indiscretions, that the National Football League, probably fueled by other owners, stepped in and disciplined Jim Irsay and did to Jim Irsay what they took from him what is most dear to him, and that was his franchise. I don't I don't know how much power they took from Jim Irsay, but if you recall, he had to be away from the team for what was it, eight weeks? It was six games. Six games, he had to be away. He was forced to be away from his team. So and, and and that's a good thing because he got the help he needed and you know, and I think now he has been a driving force for a lot of the good of the NFL in a lot of ways, as you mentioned. But I think what that did, like any of us, was it instilled in Jim Irsay or awakened in Jim Irsay the human nature aspect of, listen, none of us are above law. And if Daniel Snyder wants to come after me, go ahead and do so because I was given a penalty by the National Football League and I accepted it and I moved on from it and I improved and became a better person and a better owner as a result of it so I'm going to take the meat from the Wolverine and stand up as a representative of my fellow owners to say this guy's got to go yeah I don't know if Jim Mersey does this Jake in 2012 correct prior to his arrest correct I, I don't know if he does it in the 90s you know maybe his daughters are a little bit younger and he just doesn't necessarily feel the feelings that he clearly does now so major credit to him there are other issues League-wide, certainly Deshaun Watson's case um, is very relevant, but just because, uh, you know, what happened with Watson and the fully guaranteed contract and all of that doesn't mean you look at Daniel Snyder's situation and push that to the side. Um, So major credit to Jim Mersey for those comments and, again, doing it in a very public manner. We'll continue this conversation with Stephen Holder coming up and also look ahead to Sunday with the Colts and Titans at 1 o'clock. Kevin Aquari here, 8 o'clock hour coming up. You're listening to Kevin and Query on 93.5 and 107.5. The Fan. Eight o'clock hour here. 
Kevin and Query on a busy Wednesday. Again, the Pacers season underway, less than 12 hours. Wizards at home tonight, Spurs and Pistons Friday and Saturday. And a huge one for the Colts this Sunday as they look to split the season series with Mike Vrabel and the Tennessee Titans. And, of course, the Jim Irsay comments from yesterday, which we've hit on a lot. And we'll continue here with our next guest. He is Stephen Holder from ESPN.com. Steven, your level of surprise yesterday in hearing Jim Mercer's comments in a very public manner. Uh, I was, I was, <clears throat> excuse me, I was stunned. I, I really was. Not so much by the specifics of what he said, but but just the fact that that anybody actually went there. You know, the NFL is so structured and so careful and and plotting about their moves. And this was definitely an off script moment for Jim Mercy. There's no doubt about it. I've been to many owners meetings and it's, it's very rare that an owner stops and number one gives an interview <laughs> and that, that says anything substantive. And then number two uh, says something explosive. Like I, that just doesn't happen. They may make some news, but this is a different level. So I was pretty sort of surprised by it, but, but I think when you when you get past the initial surprise, I, I think if you understand Jim Irsay and you under, and you know Jim Irsay, I think you're probably not surprised that he's the one who stepped up to say it, because that's the one thing you can tell him with Jim Irsay is honesty and speaking his mind, for better or worse. And I think this is a an absolute perfect example of just that. Stephen, I had just mentioned this. And I want your thought on this. I'm not saying by any stretch of the imagination that other owners would have come to Jim Irsay to ask for this. But this, one would assume, was precipitated by the report this week that Daniel Snyder had hired private investigators to dig up dirt on other owners almost as a defense of himself. He has since said that that's not accurate. But... Jim Irsay is a person whose indiscretions have been very public. It is very well known. It would be difficult to dig up anything on Jim Irsay that has not already been headlines. So Jim Irsay has that protection almost of, hey, come at me. What do you, 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 you can't because it's all out there. Do you think that that in any way motivated Jim Irsay to speak out knowing that he was almost protected, if you will? And is there any chance that that meant subliminally that he was standing up for all of the other owners as the guy, as I had said, that was going to take, go ahead and take the meat away from the Wolverine. Well, you know, I, I think you have to assume that it, it played into his, his rationale and his justification for going public and saying this, uh, because listen, I mean, we have no idea if, if Daniel Snyder really has the goods that he's supposedly reportedly threatening you know that that's that's the one thing that came across in the story is that it's not clear whether he actually has dirt or if it's just a threat of coming public or going public with dirt but be that as it may you you maybe have to take him seriously because the man is clearly a vindictive person (laughs) this is very clear right so my point is if you're Jim Mersey I agree with you a hundred percent if that's a concern for any of those owners in the room, it's not one for Jim Mercy. Because you know who has talked most about Jim Mercy's vices? Jim Mercy. You know? So 
it's exactly what you said. I mean, what are you gonna what are you gonna hit him with? We know it all. He has a past, and we know the entire past. We know more about Jim Mercer's past than probably any other NFL owner, the good and the bad, right? And and I think the difference between uh, Jim Irsay and, and Daniel Snyder, and I'm not saying this as someone who covers the Colts and is being a homer. I think this is just true. There's a big difference here, and I'm not going to compare you know, people's wrongs and failures. I, that's not what I'm going to do. What I am going to say, though, is there is a difference between acknowledging and confronting your issues, as we clearly know Jim Irsay has done. There's a difference between doing that and what – Daniel Snyder ha- continues to be accused of doing, which is to, which is to obfuscate and to, to put up roadblocks and to willfully hurt people and go after people. He's vindictive. I mean, all of these horrible things that he's been accused of. I can't prove them personally, but there certainly are a, a lot of. Uh, there's a lot of evidence that a lot of it's true. So there's a difference between what he's accused of and what Jim Mercer has done just in terms of how they have responded to the issues and the accusations. Completely different. You know, with that, and I, and I again, I want to make clear, Stephen, I'm playing devil's advocate here because I'm, yeah. I'm all for the removal of Daniel Snyder, I, quite frankly. Um, did Jim Mercer, however, speak prematurely because of the fact that the investigations of Daniel Snyder's very gross allegations against him are not yet complete. Uh, yeah, I mean, look if if you ask if you ask the league, probably <laughs> just from a, a black and white standpoint, right? But I also think these things are also uh, dealt with in the court of public opinion, and in the end, no vote to remove Daniel Snyder would happen unless there was, I think, overwhelming public support for it. And I've even heard people say maybe this was a trial balloon on Jim Mercer's behalf, and and maybe this was orchestrated. I don't know. I'm really not sure. I I will tell you, I had a cult source tell me yesterday that they didn't know this was coming, uh, at least people in the organization. That doesn't mean that there there wasn't a conversation among Jim Mercer and his colleagues at the ownership level. So I, I can't speak to that. But the bottom line is, I, I do think you can make a very strong argument that at the end of the day, this there are people that felt this needed to be said, regardless of whether it's premature or not. Because as I said, this is going to play out very in a very uh, large extent or to a large extent in the court of public opinion. And not that Daniel Snyder has a lot of friends anyway, <laughs> but... But I do think if you if you make it front and center, and and after all the explosive allegations come out, if you make it clear, all right, we are not with this guy. I, you want to keep him at arm's reach, all right? Why does the league want to be associated with Daniel Snyder right now? There's not been anything good to come out about this guy in years. So the fact that they would want to to keep him at arm's length and to and to to remove themselves from his proximity. And say, hey, we're not we're not with this guy. He's not one of us. I mean, I think you could make the argument that they're very much in favor of that, regardless of the the status of the investigation. Stephen, I do want to transition to this Sunday for the Colts, but I, one last point I wanted to make of, 
I, I felt like it was a big warning shot for Mersey. I mean, I, I think if you read his quotes, he mentioned several times in there that if these allegations are true, there is merit to vote him out of the league. I, I, I did think he prefaced that several times. And I think kudos to him for basically, unlike really any other owner in the league, every other owner in the league is basically saying, uh, not my problem. Um, I don't need to publicly say anything about it. My organization's fine. We're still doing great financially as a league. I'm good. And, and maybe that'll change if the allegations do, you know, come out of these lawsuits. But I think the warning shot that Ursay sent is really rare. And that's where I will credit him in that not just saying, oh, it's a commander's issue. I'm not worried about that. My franchise, my workplace culture, et cetera, everything is fine and dandy. Yeah, and I would add to that, great point, great point. And, and I would add that, think about this. Think about the, the comments he made publicly yesterday, which were absolutely just explosive. Think about what he said publicly, and now imagine what he's saying behind closed doors. Think about that. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, we all talk differently among our colleagues and, and those we know personally than we do publicly, especially in front of a bank of microphones. And he spared nobody's feelings in what he said yesterday in front of the world. I can only imagine what he is saying behind closed doors in those meetings and, and just how honest and, and forceful he is being. And I, I have no doubt that he is putting pressure on his ownership colleagues uh, to, to you know, come over to his side of, of the fence if they aren't already. So I, I think that was very, very clear. That's a clear assumption I think you can make just based on the nature of what Jamerse said. He's Stephen Holder from ESPN.com. He's with us here on the Payless Liquors Hotline. Again, transitioning to the current 2022 Colts. Stephen, uh, the no-huddle approach, um, extremely, extremely important to give a jolt to this offense. Obviously, 58 pass attempts is not sustainable. Um, I think the stat I saw yesterday is when the franchise – has attempted 50 or more passes. They're like 6-25-1 and one in games. Having said that, um, how should they handle the no huddle moving forward, and how do you think they will handle it? I, I think you want to definitely keep it on the table and, and probably uh, not necessarily at the forefront, but you, you definitely want it in every game plan. And, and it's probably already been something that was under consideration, but – but if they practice it more and, and give it more, more focus, make it more of a focus in practice, then I think they will grow more and more comfortable using it. I think they should. Now, whether they can use it to the extent they did on Sunday, I don't think that's true. Um, I would be surprised by that, right? That was probably a one-off. They certainly caught Jacksonville off guard. No one knew that was coming. So that was also, uh, that, that's also why that was a very unique situation. You know, Jacksonville could not have prepared for that. They didn't have any idea it was coming. I certainly had no idea. And I've watched every snap this season. So so they, they lose the element of surprise. So they can't use it to the same extent. But I do think you can you can pull it out from time to time and, and not just in the two-minute situations where, look, they've been pretty good in those two-minute situations, at least at the end of games this year. And, and I think maybe we should have picked up on that. And I think some of us did. And it's not as if this is the first time we've talked about the no huddle. But but I think the there's evidence, right, just from the, the way that Matt Ryan has operated in the two-minute offense uh, this season. I think that 
probably gave them some confidence that they could have success in the no huddle. So I think there's an associated question here too, Kevin, and it's this. And I'm going to try to articulate this in a story later this week. We'll see how good I am with words. But I really think the question now before the Colts, at least as we sit here today, do they need to basically become more of a pass-first offense? Because certainly the the running game, they have tried and tried and tried. And finally, Frank Reich said, damn it, we are banging our heads against the wall. And he was right. And so they go the complete opposite direction and have all kinds of success. Now, granted, Jacksonville's secondary, not very good. But that being said, they it's the first time this, off, this offense looked functional. And maybe they're a better passing offense than they like to believe. Who knows? Steven, have they found their offensive line in terms of the solidarity of it? I mean, listen, what did they have? however many snaps without Matt Ryan getting hit. I mean, they kept him clean for the most part, and we saw what could happen. But is this the long-term final solution now of combination at O-line? Possibly. Uh, I think they still have to figure out whether they have the right guy at right guard. And I'm talking about Matt Pryor. Look, I mean, I think you, you can do less damage if you're playing poorly. You can do less damage playing guard than you can tackle because the speed off the edge is just really tough to deal with, Uh, really hard for the quarterback to to maneuver around. So, you know, he got some interior pressure and Pryor gave some of that pressure up. Uh, But I I think Matt Ryan, you know, can, he can either sidestep it. He can see it at least. And, and I think you can maneuver around that a little bit easier. Now it does prevent you from stepping up in the pocket, but to your question, have they found the combination? I, I think that's the question mark that remains. The other question mark is, are they going to stick with Dennis Kelly at left tackle? I think it makes sense, certainly. The only reason I think it's a question is because they have, Frank Reich has said very specifically, they, they wanted Ryman to kind of grow into that right. role long term. But, but the way I see it is, look, you are where you are. you got to play and you got to win. And you got to worry about right now. The future is the future. We'll, you got to worry about the future later. You know, I recall a few years ago, a, a few, I mean, Stephen, it's been a long time ago, when Rob Morris was a linebacker here for the Colts. I remember there was one play, on. it was in the Tampa game, the Monday Night Miracle game, yep. where Rob Morris was chasing down, um, I think it was Keeney McCardell, just running him down, and it was almost embarrassing. And later talking to Rob Morris and Rob Morris is like, look, man, I don't want to publicly say this and look like a whiner, but I'm getting the blame for an area where I was actually making up for somebody else's breakdown in the area they were supposed to cover. And so I slid over and was trying to help basically. And I look like the bad guy. I say that because I saw a, you know, an up high film shot of a play where Matt Pryor looked absolutely lost. I mean, it was like, what is this guy doing? He was like, dancing with ghosts, and it made me wonder, I'm not saying all the time, Stephen, but is it possible that there are plays where it looks totally egregious that Pryor looks completely out of place when in reality it's because an offensive line works as a group and somebody else had a misstep and he's the one that it glares out on? Not all the time, but is it possible that happens? Yeah, absolutely. It's it's 100% possible. I have seen multiple linemen this year 
clearly miscommunicate or miss uh, have poor execution, particularly on those those line, defensive line games that they run. So we're talking the stunts and the twist where they are trying to get uh, they're trying to force you into mis- into mistakes, right? And, and that has certainly happened. I've seen Ryan Kelly make those mistakes this year. You know, a few too many, in fact. I've seen Quentin Nelson screw up on a couple of those. So what you're what you're outlining is entirely possible. However, there also are with Pryor. There also are way too many uh, instances where it's very clear that it's his guy and he gets beat one on one. And, and that's where I can judge an offensive lineman. I think too many times we as, as the fan and, and us in the media as well, we think we know more than we do, right? And we watch and we're like, oh, that guy got beat. Well, you have no idea what the hell they called in the, in the huddle or on the sideline, right? I mean, you have no idea whether there was supposed to be a rotation, whether someone was supposed to drop into coverage as opposed to stay in man. You have no idea, right? So my point is um, – those are harder to judge, but when it's mono e mono, and and you're getting just destroyed, it's a pretty clear cut situation in those instances. I have seen a lot of those with prior, and that I think is the bigger issue. Stephen Holder again with us, ESPN.com. Stephen, somebody asked me this yesterday, and I thought it was interesting. It's just a thought that hadn't really popped into my head. Do you think there was any thinking with Jonathan Taylor late last week of? hey, you know, we're planning to go no huddle. There's probably a good chance we chuck it, you know, 40, 50 times on Sunday. This guy's a little iffy. He didn't look fully 100% at practice. Let's hold him out this week. Or is that a little bit wishful thinking for a team 2-2-1 facing a huge divisional game? And in reality, he just couldn't give it a go. No, I think that's – I think it's probably wishful digging if they were thinking that way, <laughs> because I would I would really question their their logic if they thought that way. I, I do think though that clearly Jonathan Taylor's ankle injury was was not quite as minor as as they wanted us to believe. That is very clear now. I mean, he's missed two full weeks. Uh, I guess we'll find out today. I'm very I'm very anxious to learn, you know, whether whether he's made some progress. Now him practicing on some level last week is what was surprising to me that that's where I, I kind of where it became ambiguous for me because generally a guy practices on a limited basis Thursday and Friday he's got a good shot to play uh, but you know the fact that they ruled him out on Saturday when they didn't have to honestly maybe I think that tells me that it was probably legitimate I think if it was truly uh, a close game time decision you know they would have taking it right up to game time. They did not. And, and they, that's two weeks in a row. They've just ruled them out. Uh, even in this week when they didn't have to travel and they could have let it linger to Sunday, you know, because, you know, when a guy doesn't make the trip, as people may or may not know, you have to rule him out, you know, ahead of that trip. This was a home game. They could have let it ride to Sunday. They did not. So I, I don't know. I'm very curious. I know this wasn't your question, but I am curious uh, as to the specifics of that injury. I will say, when Frank Reich was asked, maybe by you, I can't recall, when Frank Reich was asked whether he has a high ankle sprain, uh, he still to this day has not answered that question. <laughs> so, And by the way, we've tried on Jonathan Taylor. He's given us nothing. He is master of the stiff arm uh, in, the, in a very nice way. He does it with a smile. Got news for you. The October 30th game for the Indianapolis Colts went from moderately interesting – 
to uninteresting with Carson Wentz's uh, injury back to prime time, baby. Yeah. Flex it, do whatever. Well, the- it is already 425, and Game I be- of the week. believe the halftime show will not be Tart Glenn's <laughs> Ring of Honor. It will be an octagon with Jim Irsay and Daniel Snyder there. The, at the Washington 50. Commanders, who, by the way, Jim Irsay, his only slip up in yesterday's move was he did refer to them as the Redskins, by the way. Oops. Well, listen, look, I'm here for it, guys. Um, I'm, I'm really here for it. I don't know who wins, uh, but <laughs> who cares? I'm, I'm definitely here for it. Who cares? Bring out the bring out the octagon, Kevin. Steven, I mean, one eye on New York, game, one right? eye on what's 56. Thank you for the time this morning. All right, guys. See you soon. Steven Holder right there on the Payless Liquors hotline. I'm telling you, can you imagine? I mean, Kevin, that game's going to have national – eyes on it now right yeah and again it, it is slotted at 425 which i thought was odd to begin with but it is certainly transitioned from carson wentz i mean basically what jim mercy did to carson wentz he kind of did with daniel snyder yesterday <laughs> honestly i get far different situations here i i, I do want to slide in just one thing more on the ursay comments like so many people are like Boy, Jim Irsay's the one saying this. Man, he's screaming from a glass house. Who cares who said it? Someone in the ownership group needed to say something. Just because it's a flawed individual who said it doesn't mean that Daniel Snyder should be allowed to get away with what he reportedly is getting away with. Right. I have have no issue because Jim Irsay has some past history that is checkered and he's been arrested and suspended by the league and all of that. It needed to be said, and unfortunately... It needed to be said by one of those 32 individuals, I guess 31 individuals in this case. And good on Ursay for being the one to do it. I'm telling you, it's going to be fun for the next, like, no, fun's probably the wrong word because it's a, a bad story. Uh, you know what I mean? But uh, it will be interesting. How's that? To the question you asked, Stephen, about the offensive line, um, Dennis Kelly atop the depth chart right now. So I would assume the five man grouping we saw on Sunday will continue. Hey, if it ain't broke, don't fix it. And, and I get the Matt Pryor issues at right guard. Jake, you tried Will Fries against the Titans earlier this year. Didn't go great. You tried Danny Pinter, of course, earlier this year. I, I just think we almost need to accept, like, Matt Pryor's going to be the weak link. Weak link. And covering him up at right guard is easier than covering him up at right tackle. Did you ever watch that show, The Weakest Link? It was, it was hot. You are for the like, weakest link. You are, what did you say? You are gone. <laughs> That's right. It was hot for just, like two months, right? It was just, you're the weakest link. Goodbye. Goodbye. And Goodbye. then you drop down a shoot. That's mm-hmm. right. Yeah. That was Rick Carlisle yesterday to some of our questions, right? <laughs> that is correct. Yes. <laughs> uh, just about 24 hours ago, as a matter of fact. Speaking of the NBA, time for a morning check down. The morning check down. Brought to you by Ball State Football. Get your tickets at BallStateSports.com. Omaha! On 93.5 and 107.5 The Fan. The quest for 30 wins begins for the blue and gold tonight. Washington Wizards and Pacers. 7 o'clock tip at Cambridge Fieldhouse. Chris Denary, voice of the Pacers, going to join us uh, coming up a little over half an hour from now. That is one of, what, 10 games tonight in the NBA. Others of note, the Brooklyn Nets hosting the New Orleans Pelicans. We'll see what that means for Zion Williamson and what kind of year he gets off to New York and Memphis taking place in Memphis and then San Antonio I think is interesting because they're another one that I think is going to be eyeing the prize of a trying to get a top pick 
in the NBA draft upcoming. So they're going to be right there with Indiana throughout most of the year in terms of win total. And as Jerry said, save the drama for Banyama. <laughs> it's 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 Web and Yama, right? Thank you for your support in my effort for thirty wins. I, I feel support. I don't know if you truly mean it, but I, but I, I I'm I just feel saying it. that you're calling it the quest for thirty. Yes, that's what I've decided that we're calling this year okay. the quest the twenty three quest for thirty. Right? I appreciate that, Jay Query, <laughs> such a supportive co-host here. That's right. Um, other Colts depth chart news. What about Brandon Faison? Is that man heading to the bench anytime soon? I personally think he should be. Here was Gus Bradley yesterday on the struggles of a corner that he has a lot of history with. Right. Well, the, we, we're going to need it both. I think it was, what, the Denver game when Gilmore went out for three series. And, you know, we've always felt like we're going to need three to four corners throughout the year. So, you know, and there's going to be times where some guys are playing really well and some guys, you know, maybe didn't have a great game. But, um, you know, as coaching staff, we believe in them. And then we just believe that, you know, the next opportunity they get, they, they, they got to take advantage of it. But, you know, right now they're in rotation. I think the last couple games, Isaiah's got He sounds like a little bit like Jim Mercer and a little bit like Frank Reich. Interesting. Gus Bradley strikes me as a pretty happy individual. Yeah. Like pretty upbeat, right? I think it's time for Rodgers to get the full third corner snaps. I didn't get the vibe that that's a slam dunk, but we have seen a little bit increase for Rodgers. To me, Jake, I get the understanding of wanting to play three or four corners. I also get the understanding of maybe the bench would serve Brandon face on well and send a message. Because for me, it's not just he's struggling in coverage. It's not just he's struggling with penalties or run defense. All three of them. He's checking all three boxes right now. Uh, interested to keep an eye on that come Sunday. Major League Baseball, by the way, last night, the Philadelphia Phillies, 2 nothing over the San Diego Padres. Kyle Schwarber, a home run in that game. Phillies, that put him up 2 nothing. They only needed the one, though as they now lead one game to love. New York Yankees advancing to the ALCS. They knock out Cleveland 5-1. The Yankees now moving on and taking on the Houston Astros. And as Kevin had mentioned, the the plucky underdog Yankees yes, going uh, up the against UMBC the UMBC. <laughs> golden, well, they, the Golden Retrievers, is that what UMBC was? Uh, they were the, are, I guess. They're just the Retrievers, which is different than Golden Retrievers, and they were very particular about that. How, UMBC How about was. this one from the YouTube chat? Suck manana for Webinyama. <laughs> that people that, are very creative. Hold on, with this. I, I understand, but that started down a very scary path. There, well, the, got it. Got it back on the road. The first two syllables there, I was, mm -hmm. I was very yeah. wondering. I was well, very I was curious. Where getting that was you go. ready for your about, Barcelona trip. How about this? Lose manana for Webinyama. How about that? Well, you need the S and the S. You know. <laughs> I, why do you need the S? I guess you don't There's need no the S. There's no other S anywhere in there. <laughs> for some reason, I'm thinking C.J. Stroud. Lose manana for Webinyama. There you go. That's not, that's not bad. I saw someone mention to me, uh, do the Colts need C.J. Stroud more than the Pacers need Victor Webinyama? Which franchise needs the other person more? Webinyama is far more a sure thing than C.J. Stroud. C.J. Stroud looks unbelievable, but he's also throwing to you know, four NFL wide receivers that are lining up against Minnesota. I, you know, I mean. Is Yama going to break in half? That's the one concern. I mean, Yama and I can't believe I just, and Chet Holmgren, you know, those two combined probably have my weight, you know. 
Uh, Kristen Airy going to join us just over 30 minutes from now. Pacers in action tonight. We'll continue talking about not only that and Kevin's quest for 30, but the Colts beyond just the Ursay-Snyder discussion. All next, Kevin and Corey, 93.5, 107.5 The Fan. You're listening to Kevin and Query on 93.5 and 107.5 The Fan. Jake, I thought Matt Ryan would take home AFC Offensive Player of the Week honors, but he did not. Uh, probably well-deserved, though, the guy who won it. That would be Josh Allen. Yeah, Josh Allen's pretty darn good. And he also did it in what was clearly the, the marquee game. 329, three touchdowns for Josh Allen in that win at Arrowhead. And one big leap. Somebody got on me yesterday and said, uh, how come with a guy like Lamar Jackson, people say, or Michael Vick, that they run too much and it's dangerous, but Josh Allen gets praised for it. And I'm like, uh, you don't hear people saying that Josh Allen, oh, that's just, a concern? I'm just I mean, worried about Josh Allen. Uh, Josh Allen and Andrew Lamar Luck, Jackson. That was no question. I mean, that was the... The biggest thing, I mean, what what did we say about Andrew Luck? Why did Andrew Luck's career presumably, you know, in prematurely? It's because he never learned to slide and his body was too beaten up, right? One thing I noticed in watching Lamar Jackson play, Jake, he does an incredible job of avoiding big hits. You know, because he weighs, what, 30, 40 pounds less than Josh Allen? Hell, maybe even more than that. I just think, you know, Allen just takes a lot of those hits. Jackson does. I mean, he's so he's you know he's like an eel weaving in and out, and I think just does a great job of making sure he doesn't take. Uh, you knew who did that hits. and got a lot of critique for it, a lot of criticism for it. It's really funny to me. Gosh, second time this morning, oddly enough, that I'm referencing the Monday Night Miracle with the Tampa Bay Bucks and the Colts, almost 20 years ago, but. That was the game where Keyshawn Johnson was mic'd up. And he was walking him down the sidelines. You know, whenever somebody from the draft of 96 is on the field, I always dominate. And Marvin Harrison caught a ball and fell down or went out of bounds. And, oh, is that how he gets his catches? You know, he's afraid to get hit. Well, you know what? Marvin Harrison played a long time and was really savvy at avoiding hits, just like you're talking about. Yeah, he was. I think it's a lot harder for Lamar Jackson to try and avoid him. Of course. But he just, yeah. T.Y. Hilton, I think, followed a lot of the Marvin Harrison. Right. Uh, um, side of things. Uh, Jeff wanted to talk about the Colts play calling. Good morning, Jeff. Hey, guys. How are you doing? Good. How are you? It's a, Good, thanks. It's a little more about the play calling. So I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to ask you a question see if you know the stat. When's the last time a NFL league rusher won the Super Bowl? Quick. Do you know? Jake's yeah. usually all, all over uh, that. Terrell Davis, 98. Yeah, 13 years ago. Okay. Well, who, uh, who was it? Longer than 13, right? Yeah, who did 23? it? 23? Was it? I think there was one more since then. I thought I saw Marshawn so anyway. Lynch. I'll, yeah, I'll look it up here. Irrelevant. It's it's, it's yeah. It's, not at most, it's, it's happened very. twice in in a quarter century. Okay, so I know I'm a fan, and according to Stephen Holder, we don't know what we talk about. So, um, and I've only been saying this for the last like two or three years. There's like two positions in the NFL that are interchangeable. What are they? Running back and linebackers. Okay. For the most part, you can find those guys, all right? I have heard none, and and I'm not going to say so much to you guys because I don't get up that early to listen to your show all the time. Well, thanks. But a lot, 
but uh, sorry, sorry, I listen to it when I can. So I'm kidding you. A, a lot of the media, no one has mentioned you don't win in the current NFL running the ball. Okay, you just don't. It doesn't happen. It, there's a reason why because running backs get beat. Uh, you know what? Right now we're seeing our running back is hurt. So quick. hey, Jeff. Yep. And I appreciate the call. And by the way, I looked it up. It is I. I um, Sean Alexander went to the Super Bowl, I think, but didn't win it. Uh, Terrell Davis was the last Super Bowl winner, so your point is well made there and well taken. Uh, however, you clearly you are correct or not often up early enough to listen to the show because nobody, probably more than this show, has talked about, as I have said, and caught a lot of heat for it. Jonathan Taylor's a wonderful player, wonderful talent, wonderful guy, absolutely the probably the best running back in the league. But as I have said, that's like, in my opinion, that is like in today's NBA having the best low back-to-the-basket shot-blocking center in the league. It's a nice thing to have, but it is not what championship teams are centered around in 2022. You know, when Taylor got hurt a few weeks ago, Jake, the first thing I said was, Jonathan Taylor plays the most replaceable position in the game of football. And I think we've seen evidence of it evidence of it here the last two weeks I brought it up and probably prematurely but I brought it up Monday of when you look at what Michael Pittman was doing to kind of open things up for them offensively did that lead you to wonder whether or not when Jonathan Taylor's deal is up it would behoove them to do what they did in transitioning from Marshall Falk to Edron James Edron James to Joseph Adai Joseph Adai to Donald Brown and that is get what you can out of a guy in his first contract and then let somebody else pay him. Sunday was great. James, I think, got a second. but Sunday was great for Michael Pittman's agent, not good for Jonathan Taylor's agent. Yeah. And the two Jacksonville meetings, you know, and you guys have heard me say this this week, uh, but I guess for Jeff, you're shut out in week two when you don't have Pittman and you score 34 on Sunday without Taylor. Um, this is probably a bigger conversation for the offseason, Jake. I do think there is an element of, like, when you draft a guy in the second round, though, I do feel like there's got to be a level of commitment to that guy, and you're saying this is going to be longer than just a four-year marriage. That's fair. And listen, certainly his play merits that. And I, w- and I would be surprised if the Colts, again, let him walk. And basically it's just investing money into other positions um, than that. What are your thoughts, no huddle-wise? I, I, I think it's something that, you cannot, and I'm a little nervous about this, because Frank Reich in years past, Jake, when the no huddles found success, it has not become a weekly thing. I understand the limitations you have with it, particularly away from home. I think it's harder to implement, given crowd noise. But for an offense that has had so many offensive line issues, turnover issues at quarterback, and a struggling run game, I thought the no huddle helped the run game because you could kind of dink and dunk your way and the short passing game became your run game. I think you can't get too far away from it. I think it's got to be right there in your back pocket, and if you get into any sort of offensive rut for a couple series, you've got to go back to it. You ever shoot baskets in the driveway with, like, your brother shagging the ball for you? Oh, I, I, I do it now. Okay. I've got a great hoop. Have you ever, you got to come over and shoot some baskets in so the backyard. You, I don't even know where you live. Oh, God, that's awkward. <laughs> you've offered to pick me up on some of the you know, snowy days. True, but then, but then it never came to fruition. So yeah, I didn't where are you again? I'm, out, I'm outside. <laughs> So, when you when you shoot baskets in the driveway and you're doing like kind of an around the horn thing, once you knock down a couple of them, you look at the guy or gal that's that's 
shagging the ball for you and you're like, all right, man, let's go. Like, you know, you're getting in rhythm. Boom, boom, you're hitting them and you're getting them and, and you accelerate your pace because you're feeling good. Your shots are going down. You feel good and you go on this string where you hit like six or seven in a row and you're you're just you, – you want them to just keep feeding you the ball quickly and snap it right back to me because you're feeling good and you're in rhythm. That's exactly what Matt Ryan needs to feel as a quarterback for the Indianapolis Colts. When his, when When he is in rhythm as a passer, we saw it. When he's in rhythm as a passer, that's what he feeds off of, and I think that comes from no huddle. I think it does three things, all of which are beneficial. Number one, it keeps defenses on their heels. We've seen that for years in the NFL. Number two, it allows the offensive line to kind of get in rhythm and also at the same time not have to because of the fact that teams aren't getting an opportunity to really like, you know, defenses to set and and to all, you know, it just allows the line to also be in the same rhythm as the quarterback. And then, you know, most importantly, it just allows to wear down a defense and allows you to go out there and work in pace. The problem is, so as I say all that, you say to yourself, well, then why doesn't everybody do it, Jake? Because not every quarterback can do it effectively and efficiently. Matt Ryan can. And so, and Peyton Manning could. You know, Patrick Mahomes probably can't. There, not every quarterback can you go no huddle with. You can with Matt Ryan. I'm with you. They need to do it more. I asked Frank Reich that very question on Monday. The cons or the hesitancy in using no huddle on a weekend, week out basis. Sam, you got that audio? Here was Frank Reich on Monday on that it question. It limits you as far as what you can do formationally and you know, one of our goals is to be multiple. And, you know, when we say multiple, that's multiple personnel groups, multiple formations, so, and you give them multiple looks. If you go to huddle, then you just have to say, we're, we're going to be less multiple than we are when we're huddling. And that's fine. I mean, we did that last week. We knew that. And, um, but we were in more formations last week. For When you remember watching Peyton Manning in the days here running the no huddle, it was basically two formations, two by two and three by one. <clears throat> Receiver stayed static. You know, we got in, we we did get in more formations than that. So we had a little variety to what we were doing. You know, I understand where Frank Reich's coming from on that. But again, Jake, your offense was in such a rut. And not just one element of your offense, the O-line, the turnovers, the run game, all of it was in such a historic drought frankly with seven straight games of 20 points or less that no huddle cannot be too far away from the game plan and I I think this moving forward Jake I think with how the college game is called and hell when I when I did the high school game a few weeks ago watching Brownsburgers offense Jake all these kids come from college and they're used to the no huddle they're used to the quick tempo yeah I mean that is did anybody watch Tennessee on Saturday you're right I mean Clemson that's exactly what they do right everybody is doing it in college football or at least you know 80 90 percent of the program so i think guys like jelani woods and alec pierce and kylan granson and you know some of these younger skill guys that you're relying on a good amount right now they're more used to this than you know maybe what marvin harrison reggie wayne and you know those guys would have been coming out of college back in the 90s or 2000s i'd like to know what goes on in the huddle it's more than just calling the play, right? Do you think they're ever just like, hey, man, what's up? 
You know, did you check out like you? You, you know look the, good today, like things like that. Yeah, like like that hey, armband is nice. Who's feeling? Or like you know, hey, who, who's feeling good? Like who's in? You know, who needs help? You know, whatever. Where are we going post game? Yeah, that you know the Joe Montana story. What's that? Super Bowl, whatever Super Bowl it was, when they went down against the Niners in '89, and he threw the game-winning touchdown pass to John Taylor. As they were getting ready to start that drive, they're in the huddle and. Joe Montana looks at everybody and they're like, you know, here's the Super Bowls on the line. We're down five or whatever it is. Last drive of the game. Holy cow. And everybody's looking wide-eyed at Joe Montana and they're nervous and like, oh my gosh, what's going to happen? And Montana goes, hey, did you guys see John Candy? I'm like, what? He's like, seriously, like, check it out. Like at the 35-yard line in the third row. Isn't that John Candy from Summer Rental? The the actor dude, it was like playing Strange and Automobiles just came out and they looked and like John Candy's in the stands. Montana's like, dude, how awesome is that? I love John Candy. <laughs> that is great. Any, think- anyway, Double Dog Blitz 38. Break, <laughs> right, exactly. You, know? you think Kyle Schorber said that last night about Bill Walton before he climbed to the batter's box? Uh, I know Bill Walton went to see the Grateful Dead 25 times with Rick Carlisle. We probably should have dove more into that, right? Yeah, boy, you talk about some extracurriculars that could have been going on there. <laughs> right? <laughs> Kristen Airy going to join us in the 9 o'clock hour. Pacers season underway tonight. We'll continue to take your calls. Colts conversation. Pacers. Curious Pacers expectations. At K Bowen 1070 on Twitter. At Jake Query. The phone lines are open. 317-239-1070. Talk to you next. You're listening to Kevin and Query on 93.5 and 107.5. The Fan. Kevin's very intently studying something over there. Yeah, I was reading, uh, Zach Kiefer right, wrote a great piece on uh, Grover Stewart. Boy, he's having a heck of a year, isn't he? Yeah. Well, both of them. It's a 20, <laughs> 2017 draft that it's just really awkward with Chuck Pagano still being the head coach and Chris Bauer's first draft. And certainly a lot of guys that did not work out early in that draft, but Grover Stewart in the fourth round, even Anthony Walker in the fifth round, I know he's no longer here, but those are a couple of really solid picks Stewart is he won't get to the pro bowl because he doesn't have the name recognition nor kind of the flashy sack stats but he deserves that type of recognition this season and he, honestly for a guy Jake that uh he just signed an extension a year or two ago he would be one that would deserve a restructure you know we talked about Kenny Moore last offseason Grover Stewart has played like that you know one of my favorite topics Kevin who is the best player on the roster that you've never seen a fan wearing their jersey at the Colts games? Oh, gosh. It's got to be Grover Stewart, right? Yeah. I don't know that I've ever seen a Grover Stewart jersey. No. You know who else has had a really nice season that I would guess not a lot of jerseys in the stands for? DeForest Buckner? Zaire Franklin. Yeah, that's a good one. And I wanted to bring this up. Casey- Bobby O'Karake, for that matter. Right. Has played well. I guess Bobby, a little bit more name recognition, or at least a little bit more starting recognition coming into the season. But Casey asked me this yesterday, and I thought it was a great, really well-framed question. No doubt the linebacker group has a lower ceiling with Shaquille Leonard not in the lineup, but does it have a higher floor? I would say yes. Without him in the lineup? I think you get more consistent early down production, I guess, from the linebackers. Again, and as Casey points out, certainly a lower ceiling. But 
I think you have a little bit more steadiness with that group. That's a really good – you're right. That's a very well-worded question. Now, do you remember – okay, let's revisit this six games in now that he has not been on the field. At no fault of his, I get it. When I – and I'm not saying this to ask you to – I'm genuinely asking because I don't know the answer, Kevin. So I'm not – it's going to sound like I'm framing this for you to pat me on the back. I'm not. I'm genuinely curious. So please feel free to answer with no. You you know, you are absolutely wrong. I caught a lot of heat at the beginning of the year when I said that if you take away the takeaway potential, which is admittedly a huge part of Shaquille Leonard's game, but you never know when that's going to strike or how often it is, that just as a general linebacker that there is the possibility he was an overrated play, a little bit overrated because things were simply facilitated towards him, and that's where his numbers came from. Has yeah. there been anything to say that that may be accurate? Yeah, I certainly pushed back on that when you said it. And again, I think the turnovers are so understood, so rare, especially at that position. And if you look at the numbers this year, I mean, the Colts are nowhere near the interception force fumble total that they have right. been with Leonard. So I still want to acknowledge that, and I still think it's really missed. But at the same time, if there's a position that Chris Ballard has drafted very, very well at, it's linebacker. Yeah. I mean, Jake, how about EJ Speed, that huge fourth down stop on Sunday? I mean, Speed, without Speed strip sack in week You're one, right. you lose to the Texans. Um, so I, I think kudos certainly there um, from a playmaking standpoint. All right, opening night for the Pacers tonight, 7 o'clock, the Wizards in town. Voice TV voice of the Pacers over on Valley. It is Chris Denary, and he joins us next. You're listening to Kevin and Query on 93.5 and 107.5. The Fan. It's 9 o'clock in Indianapolis. It is technically 9 o'clock everywhere in the Eastern Time Zone. My name is Jake Query. Kevin Bowen, the other voice you hear on this program, Sam Fritz. Filling in for Mark Dykton, who is enjoying his ninth week of vacation for the year. <laughs> um, and tonight, the Indiana Pacers get things underway. It is the Washington Wizards that will be paying a visit to the newly renovated Gamebridge Fieldhouse and taking on the soon-to-be-renovated Indiana Pacers. Joining us now to talk about it, he's the television voice on Valley Sports Indiana for the Pacers, Chris Denary, who joins us. Chris, you're fired up, right? Hey, I'm ready to go, yeah. Uh, we got to... <laughs> Two under our belt during the preseason, and now uh, the first of 82. So, yeah, uh, opening night's always always a special night, no matter what year it is, no matter who's on your team, no matter who's coming into the building. So, uh, yeah, looking forward to tonight. You know, it from a broadcast standpoint, we talk so much about teams finding their way, finding their rhythm. I know you've done this for a long time, Chris, but even still as a broadcaster – does it take you a couple of games to get back into the swing of things and just kind of get everything back flowing in terms of the flow of a broadcast? Uh, there's no question. Just when you think about it, uh, I last did a game on April the 10th, uh, which was the final game of last season. And then, you know, I joined you for a few races, but that's a lot different um, on the IMS radio network. And then, uh, you know, you jump right in and you do a few preseason games and, um, it's it's as much about calling the game as you know getting used to working on your board that you've that you've developed over the years, 
learning, you know, you've got to watch the live action, looking down at the monitor, knowing when replays come, they're talking in your ear. So there's no question that uh, it, it takes you a little bit to get up to speed, but you've got to hit the ground running because we've got a game tonight, a game Friday, a game Saturday, and then hit the road for five straight next week. So uh, it comes at you pretty quickly. And, and so having those three preseason games that we did, two on Valley Sports and one on League Pass, uh, that really helps you get ready for uh, the start of the regular season. He is Chris Tenary. Again, TV coverage tonight over on Bally Sports. You guys do the – is it the hour-long pregame show leading into tonight? Yes. In fact, it's really about an hour and a half because at 5.30 we uh, taped a uh, 30-minute special that aired for the first time on Monday night at 8, and it will be on the air at 5.30. I do a sit-down with Kevin Pritchard during that half hour. And then from 6 to 7, J.J. and Eddie Gill and all of us will be live for a one-hour pregame prior to tip at 7. Let me throw some storylines at you, and you can play off of any of them or, you know, toss in another if you'd like. Obviously, Benedict Matherin speaks for itself. Um, how about Tyrese Halliburton taking that next step to, you know, being a potential all-star, being a top, whatever, five, seven-point guard in the league? Uh, obviously, what happens with all the vets and just the balance with rookie playing time? Um, Jalen Smith and Aaron Neesmith, are they going to show more of the lottery pick sort of potential? And then is Isaiah Jackson an, an every night five uh, in this league? And obviously, Miles Turner's situation will uh, play into that. Um, any of those stand out to you, or I- any other storylines that you're really watching? Well, a couple of things, and I'll start at the at the center position. I mean, one of the things that I saw from Miles in the preseason, and, and really he played limited minutes. Uh, there were a couple of games he didn't even play in the second half, but was his ability to get to the free throw line. He was 17 of 18 at the free throw line in the four games. And again, uh, if you look at free throw attempts per minute, it was pretty high. And so I think that says a lot about what the Pacers are trying to get him to do. Sure, he can shoot the three, but without DeMontis Sabonis now on the floor, I mean, there's more opportunity for Miles to go inside. And, and I, I, think, I think Tyrese Halliburton has said, that's how I feel I can help Miles. Uh, he's so used to picking and popping that we need him to roll a little bit and and Miles is a good shooter, and so getting to the free throw line, I think, will help him. Also at the five, you mentioned Isaiah Jackson. I, I think the biggest thing is he's got to stay out of foul trouble. I mean, that really hindered him last year as a rookie, and I'll just go back to Friday night. Uh, he comes in the game in the first quarter and plays a minute and picks up two fouls. And he is too talented to, you know, to, to, be, to be in that situation. He offers the Pacers so much off the bench. So I think that five position, you know, you'll watch that area. And then I think uh, all those, all those storylines you hit, uh, Tyrese Halliburton told me last week on Pacers Weekly, I asked how, it, what individual goals do you have that will help benefit this team? And he said, well, I want to be a double-double guy in this league. I want to be a 2010 guy because I think that will really help the team. And, and absolutely he has aspirations to be an all-star. I think any – any player in the league, I mean, you have individual goals, and that's one of the goals that you have. So um, I, I think you're spot on there. And, and I think the one thing will be to watch the three-point shooting. It was not, um, you know, where it needs to be in the preseason. They shot 29.5%. Uh, they struggled at times last year from three-point range. And I think we know in this league, uh, you know, more often than not, uh, the teams that are successful – are successful from three-point range. So I think that will be something that we'll be dialing in early in the year just to see how this team is shooting the ball from the perimeter. 
Chris, factor fiction on this. This season, if there is a player who the Pacers are hoping to give significant minutes, either to evaluate or to allow develop, it will not be factored in exactly how that is affecting their win-loss total to the level that that would have been a factor in years past. I would say fact. I mean, I think what you're trying to do is you're trying to grow a group of players and you're in this for the long game. Um, Sure. I mean, those guys and that coaching staff, when they go out on the floor, absolutely. They want to win every night. I mean, that that's, that's why you play the game. But at the same point, I think everybody knows that there is a great opportunity for this group to grow together. And the way that you get better in the future is you've got to play a lot together um, in, in the early stages of your group. And, and so I think you're going to see, I think you're going to see a lot of high moments uh, in just as you saw in the preseason, the, the nice win at Charlotte when the defense was good, uh, the come from behind win against New York. And then you might see some games like you saw, uh, in New York in, in preseason game number two and, and the Houston game when a team comes out and lights it up for three and, and you don't really have an answer. So I think all of that is, is going to come with time. And so I do think that you're going to give some players an opportunity to grow, um, maybe at the expense, I don't want to say at the expense of winning games, but at the expense that you know that it's going to benefit you in the long term. And I think that's that's definitely what the Pacers are interested in right now. How can we get to the point, uh, you know, in, in the long term, and, and hopefully it's a shorter long term, but we develop these players so a, a few years from now or next year or whatever that year is, we're ready to go and, 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 and really, uh, you know, consider ourselves a, a player in the Eastern Conference. I am very intrigued by what the Pacers may have landed as a player in Aaron Neesmith, but I don't know what they might have landed. Do you think the Pacers know what they might have landed? Well, I think it's a lot like Jalen Smith when they made the deal last year, uh, you know, at the trade deadline. I remember he, he played in his first game and he walked in the building like four hours before on that Friday. And you really didn't know what you were getting. You had seen some signs with him in Phoenix but he had not gotten a lot of consistent playing time. And once we saw consistent playing time, you realize what kind of player he could be. I think a lot of that is also with Aaron, Nies- with Aaron Neesmith. Um, you, you look at him coming out of Vanderbilt. He got hurt his last year. He only played 14 games. He was a 50% three-point shooter. He was considered one of the best shooters coming out in the draft. He goes to a Boston team that is built for now, ready to try to win a championship and especially last year, didn't get a lot of opportunities, sort of got buried on the bench. So what we saw uh, early in the preseason before he went out with the plantar fascia injury, he, he was really good in, in Charlotte, hit threes. He's very athletic, can defend on the wing. So I, I think you're right. I think, I, think they, I think they think they know what they have in Aaron Neesmith, but you want to see him on the floor uh, because I think he fits, he fits the timeline with what they are building right now. And he's iffy for tonight, right? Yeah, I mean, I, yesterday he, he was in practice, but he is still he is still listed as questionable. And I think the, the first injury report comes out a little bit uh, later this morning. We'll find out uh, where he stands as well. I need to get him some inserts from the good feet. Yeah, I, I think that needs <laughs> to be uh, on the agenda for this Wednesday for you. Um, on that note, Chris, um, O'Shea Brissett's role – 
has been really interesting um, in the preseason. And I guess as I try to kind of put together a starting unit and then the reserve unit, um, I, I don't know if he has a consistent role. And, and frankly, I think he should, should. But then I'm thinking to myself, well, if Neesmith's healthy, is he the three? They really like Terry Taylor. Maybe Terry Taylor is that backup four. Um, I guess the question is, rotationally tonight, do you think O'Shea Brissett will be in the rotation? And maybe who are some names um, surprisingly in the rotation or potentially out of the rotation that you're keeping an eye on? Well, I think it depends on how deep Rick Carlisle wants to go on his bench. One of the things he's talked about, he feels he has a lot of players that are on equal footing, um, that he could go 10 or 11 uh, deep. Uh, now, I'm, I'm not comparing the Pacers to Golden State. They're, they're the defending champs. But last night, Steve Kerr had talked about that he was probably going to go 10 or 11 deep, and he did in his rotation. You know, most coaches, especially playoff time, of course, it might be around eight. But even in the regular season, I think coaches like to be around nine, maybe 10. But I think if you have players that are, are warranted to get on the floor, you may go a little deeper. And especially as the season progresses, look at this weekend. You've got a, even though it's a, a home back to back, it's still a back to back, and you're playing three and four. And so you might spread those minutes out a little bit. Uh, it, it's a little bit similar to last year. O'Shea Brissett got off to a slow start and really wasn't uh, in the rotation early, but late in the year he played very well. And and I think he can he can look to that that if he's not in the rotation early in the season, it doesn't mean he won't be in the rotation in November or December or January or whatever. Uh, but but right now, I think a lot depends on Neesmith tonight if he's available and, and how Rick Carlisle opts to use his bench. What we saw in the preseason is Miles Turner was usually the first starter out, and then he would come back in and play with that second unit with McConnell and Matherin and, and Terry Taylor. So uh, I think we'll get a little bit of a sign tonight um, if if Neesmith is out, but also if Neesmith is healthy, maybe what that rotation will be here in the first week or so of the year. Chris, in terms of this roster, Chris Denary is our guest. He's the television play-by-play man for Bally Sports Indiana for the Indiana Pacers, taking on the Washington Wizards tonight to kick off the season. Chris is on the... Uh, Payless Liquors Hotline. In terms of this particular roster, Chris, what player do you think has the ability to most thrive or will most benefit, let's say that, from, and I hate to put it this way, but I'm going to, a year without expectation, a year where the win total and the playoff seeding and sweating out every game is not necessarily the main priority. And so that pressure is off a little. I know players want to win, but with that pressure off and just kind of a show me what you got go out and play between the lines and don't worry about the results like year what player does that most benefit well I think there's I think there's a, I think there's a bunch of them Jake from the standpoint that uh, nine or ten of the, the players on this roster are 22 years of age and younger um, and so they have an opportunity to grow I mean you can look at the rookie you can look at Matherin you can look at Nemhard that they're just going to they're going to be handed opportunities to go out and play and learn the ropes of the NBA and and I think that's essential as you grow I mean I, I think back uh, you know to the 2010 draft um, and when Frank Vogel took over when Jim O'Brien was let go uh, 
they used Paul George a whole lot more than they used earlier in the year. And, and, and I think at that point there were no expectations, but I think that opportunity to play, even though they made the playoffs as the eight seed, I think that really helped Paul. And then I helped, I think that really helped him, you know, in his Pacers career, especially those next three years as he became the player he became and the uh, Pacers then went to the Eastern conference finals. So I think those young guys will really benefit from just having the opportunity to go out and play in significant roles and, and playing in games uh, that are going down the stretch, playing in close games uh, where you've got to hit a big shot. You've got to make a big defensive stop. Uh, so honestly, I think all these guys are going to benefit from that opportunity. It can only help them for the future. Kristen Aries with us again tonight. It'll be him, Quinn Buckner, Jeremiah Johnson, Bally Sports. Coverage begins at 5.30 for them, tip just after 7 o'clock. Uh, CD, I thought it was pretty wild the other night when you mentioned that the Fort Wayne Mad Ants have an average age on their roster, I think you said a year and a half older than yeah. the Pacers. Is that right? Yeah, I think it's uh... – I think Chad Buchanan at the time, uh, it was like 25 and a half for the Mad Ants and 23.8 for the Pacers. So, yes, it's like 1.7 years. And you look out there, yes, the the Mad Ants, of course, are housed um, in the Ascension St. Vincent practice facility. And so they were over on Salesforce Court uh, in the morning. And once the Pacers practice is over, they come over and practice in the practice facility. And Justin Anderson, who we saw last year, played at Virginia with Malcolm Brogdon. I mean, he's he's considered a, a veteran now, but he's on that Mad Ants roster. There are a number of older players. So, uh, yeah, they have an older roster right now than the Pacers do. On paper, this has got to be one of the easier three-game stretches of the season, correct, to, to, to start things? Wizards, Spurs, and Pistons? I, when you – are you know scheduled to win 23 and a half according to Vegas I don't know if anything qualifies as easy so maybe that's not the right word but uh, this is a rather manageable start to the year well when you think about what you're looking at then the next week you've got in Philadelphia who is a title contender Chicago who was a playoff team last year you've got to play Brooklyn twice uh, with Durant and Irving and, and Simmons and and then you've got the rematch with Washington you've got three teams that are, aren't expected to make the playoffs in Washington, San Antonio, and Detroit. But I would say if you look at Washington's roster tonight, I mean, you've got Bradley Beal, who's considered one of the top players in the NBA. Kristaps Porzingis at seven foot three is a very talented player. Kyle Kuzma is coming off the best year of his NBA uh, career. So I think there are a lot of talented teams and players in the NBA. I think Washington is a team that feels like they could be a playoff team or a play-in team this year. So, yeah, I guess if you look at the schedule based on records from a year ago and where teams are projected, yes, you would say these three games, uh, you know, are are more manageable than other games. But this is the NBA, and there are a lot of talented players. And, and at the beginning of the year, everybody truly wants to prove themselves. So uh, th- this will be a, a challenging week for the Pacers, no, no question. I'm telling you, um, Kevin, by January, you're going to own a Benedict Matherin jersey, right? Oh, are you saying I don't <laughs> own one already? He may have it by Friday. <laughs> I, I was going to say, I guess he hasn't – you you said you didn't know where I lived. Why? How do you know what's in my closet? <laughs> That's a fair point. 
All right, fair enough. Anything new, Chris, uh, telecast, broadcast-wise? Obviously, Bally's been a popular topic in the offseason, but I guess anything graphic-wise, I, I I don't know. The Connecticut commercials are immaculate, as always. <laughs> Terrific job on that. Uh, well, that's... thanks. Uh, there, there are, I'm sure, some new graphics. We'll have some new packages, uh, maybe some new music here or there. I mean, we're, we're going to try to do our best as well as to tell the story and to introduce our fan base uh, to these new players because they're – are going to be Pacers fans that tune in that that don't recognize some of the, the guys that have been there in the past. So that's on us, and, and we look forward to that challenge. And, yeah, it was a lot of fun uh, to uh, film the new Connecticut commercial with our two new rescue dogs. I thought Augie and Izzy, they did very well. Uh, my wife takes great pride in our house, so we're always, I mean, we're always happy to, to show. I think I heard you when I was on last week, you said, it looks so warm and inviting. So and warm so and inviting, we- which I, I've been to your old – I think it was your old house that, I, that yeah. I've been to. Uh, but the gardening, yes, uh, just pristine to say the least. <laughs> well, uh, Look I, at I you two just of- having little sleepovers without me. That's hey, cool. Kristen Aaron used to coach me in basketball, Jake. <laughs> Fair right. enough. I used, I used to put the green light on for Kevin Bowen <laughs> to uh, launch three. Right. Neon green. <laughs> Kevin, when or, or Chris, when the green light's on, I pass it to you 120 times. Come on. <laughs> That's right. When the yellow's on, we just sit up, sit up in our spot <laughs> and rest. That is correct. Again, tonight the coverage will begin at 5.30, as Chris mentioned. Uh, an interview with Kevin Pritchard to start things off. And then J.J. and Eddie Gill with the pregame, the hour-long pregame leading into the season opener. Tonight it'll be the Pacers and the Wizards at Gamebridge Fieldhouse. Chris, can't wait for the season. Um, always love you on the call. Really looking forward to it. I think it's a fun, fun era. I think Pacers fans feel that as well and uh, cannot wait for tonight. Well, thanks so much. It's hard for me to believe I'm starting my 17th year doing this. And uh, uh, you know you feel old when uh, at one of our draft parties this year, I had a a family come up and the the kid was, I think he was like a junior at Hamilton Southeastern. He goes, I've been watching you since I can remember. And I'm like, oh, wow. That's a a long time. but. But uh, we have a, we have a great group. We're all together again, as you said. All those uh, all the all those of us that are on the air. But Jamie Burns is our director, so good at providing the pictures. Uh, Brian Woodrum is our producer, and Ken Softman uh, produces uh, Pacers Live pregame and postgame. So uh, we've got so many fine men and women that work on our crew. Uh, can't can't say enough about them. So uh, we look forward to doing it each and every night for all of you. Appreciate it, Chris Denary, again on the Payless Liquors Hotline. Chris, enjoy it. We'll see you soon. All right. All right, sounds good, guys. Thanks. Taking a look now at the morning checkdown and what happened last night in the NBA. The morning checkdown. Brought to you by Ball State Football. Get your tickets at BallStateSports.com. On 93.5 and 107.5, the fan. By the way, speaking of tickets, we have them for 50 Cent as part of the pop quiz. Do we not still have them this morning? Kevin Hart. Just, Kevin Hart, not 50 Cent. Not, not what 50 did I say? Cent. I'm sorry, 50 Cent partnered with the Pacers on something. Sorry about that. Kevin Hart is what I meant to say. Um, Pacers announcing today a partnership with 50 Cent. I saw that I on Bush television. you were going to say star in the next candy shop video um, would be a 50 Cent. Sorry about that. Kevin Hart tickets uh, to give away as part of the pop quiz coming up in just about 10 minutes. But last night in the NBA, it was the Celtics over the Sixers, 126 to 117. Jason Tatum, Jalen Brown, 35 points apiece. Malcolm Brogdon, 16 for Boston off the bench, Golden State 123-109 over the Lakers. Steph Curry with 33. LeBron James did have 31 and 14. 
All right, we're set with the ALCS, and of course the NLCS got underway last night. Sam Fritz very happy about his Phillies. Bryce Harper, that's what, three straight games now he's gone yard in the uh, postseason? I think it was two, one with one day off in between, and then one of the game before that. Three straight, yeah, three straight games, I guess, not not days, but I'm pretty sure it's three in a row oh, for Bryce I, I, Harper. I meant one of the days as being a game that he did not hit a home run. Got it, got yeah. it, got it, got it. Kyle Schwarber, uh, 488 feet on that tape measure shot. couple solos. Zach Wheeler was terrific. Two hits over seven innings. So the Phillies was get he wheeling? one. Uh, he was wheeling. He was dealing. They're up 1-0. 435 is game two. And Yankees and Astros, that is 737 tonight. Curious to see how Justin Verlander responds from a very un-Verlander-like Game 1 in the ALDS. The Yankees 5-1 winners over the Guardians in Game 5. Stanton and Judge doing what Stanton and Judge do. 3-1 homer for Stanton and a solo shot for Aaron Judge. And back to the NBA real quick, just to give you some of the games tonight of note. Again, Washington and Indiana, 7 o'clock, Gamebridge Fieldhouse. Elsewhere, New Orleans and Brooklyn, that's a 7.30 start. The Bulls in Heat at 7.30. It is Charlotte and San Antonio at 8 o'clock as San Antonio and the Pacers both in the race for the number one overall pick, quite frankly. So, to Oklahoma City, perhaps in that mix, Minnesota they've got at 8 o'clock with Michael Grady on the call. First practice of the week for the Indianapolis Colts will begin just after noon today. They'll be getting ready for the Titans. Some injuries to watch. Jonathan Taylor, Naeem Hines, um, Shaquille Leonard. Uh, does Julian Blackman get back to being available? He was only in an emergency role uh, coming into – uh, last week's game, Quiddy Pay, that ankle injury. One thing we didn't note on the Jim Irsay news front from uh, earlier in the show, did you happen to see the commander's statement about Jim Irsay's comments, Jake? I did. They called it inappropriate, did they not? And I quote from the commanders, it is highly inappropriate but not surprising that Mr. Irsay opted to make statements publicly based on falsehoods in the media. It is unfortunate that Mr. Ursay decided to go public with his statement today while an investigation is in process and the team has had no opportunity to respond to allegations. The commanders have made remarkable progress over the past two years. We are confident that when he has an opportunity to see the actual evidence in this case, Mr. Ursay will conclude there is no reason for the Snyders to consider selling the franchise, and they won't. Here is the one question I would have from that. What was the time period of their remarkable progress? Uh, dose years. How long has Daniel Snyder owned the team? 99 is popping in my head for some reason. So if there was never any wrongdoing from Daniel Snyder, from what was it that they needed to progress? That would be my question to the Washington Commanders. I always find it odd, and I've probably been at fault for this. Like, Why do we need to say Mr. Ursay? The same was true of Pullian. Did you ever notice that? Yeah, I, yeah, it, it was. You are right. I feel like when Pullian was in I, charge I, of the I've Colts, I've never called everyone, Chris Ballard Mister. Right. I, I don't know. Like with 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 Bill Pullian, everyone called him Mister. Pullian. Why? Bill Bill Pullian. Yeah. Uh, that's a pretty strong statement. Do you think Daniel Snyder penned that and told the PR department to press send on the email? <laughs> <laughs> that's entirely possible. Somebody asked me, by the way, retell the restaurant story very simply. I asked a restaurant waiter at a prominent restaurant in Indianapolis. I will not say the name of the restaurant. I don't want to get anybody in trouble. This was a few years ago during the combine. And I said, hey, during the combine, like, who's the biggest jerk that's ever been in here? And without hesitation, this guy said, oh, the, that guy that owns the Washington football team. 
I said, well, tell me what happened. Well, he came in here, he sat down, uh, he started to eat his dinner, and he lit up a cigar. And he was smoking a cigar in the restaurant, and everybody's like, well, what are we doing here? And they come over and they said, uh, sir, this is a no-smoking establishment. And he said, I don't care. I'm going to smoke my cigar. And they said, no, it's a no-smoking establishment. You need to be respectful to your fellow patrons. And he said, well, then bring me the bill for every one of them. He paid for everybody in the room, all of the strangers at their tables. They collected it. They tipped out whatever else and then said, all right, now you need to leave. And they kicked him out because he was that big a jerk. Not necessarily to James Corden level. Did you hear about that? Uh, I did. I, I'll sneak this in on Daniel Snyder uh, quickly. Uh, to echo that, was talking with someone that has worked for the Washington franchise over the years, and their quote about Daniel Snyder, complete and total a-hole, insane, inept, a petulant child. Other than that, he's pretty decent, right? Um, I, I would like to think you could have you could ask probably ninety nine point nine if not every single employee um, that's worked for Jim Erson. I don't think you would hear anything close to that. Yeah, I would I would assume that that's to be true. Uh, James Corden, by the way, the television host, banned and then unbanned from some restaurant in New York, but apparently for being extremely rude to the waitstaff, he was banned from a restaurant. And he called and apologized, and they said, "Okay, fine, you can come back." And I kind of like that guy. Yeah, he's, he seems okay, except for apparently you don't want to go to dinner with him. No. Or at least wait on him. A pair of Kevin Hart tickets Sunday at Gamebridge Fieldhouse. Uh, did you go to Lizzo last night over there? I saw that Lizzo was there because um, Michelle Connell took her daughter to Lizzo and posted a picture on my group text, which then, due to some sort of an error, uh, came through 26 times. So I saw the same picture from oh, the Lizzo boy. concert 26 times. That's a lot of likes, potentially, <laughs> that, on that, that picture. That is right, yeah. Uh, my mother-in-law and um, sister-in-law were in New York for her birthday, her 25th birthday a couple for weeks Lizzo's ago. For Lizzo's birthday or their birthday? Uh, for her birthday, okay. Anna, who is turning 25. And they saw Lizzo at Madison Square Garden. Very talented, right? Yes, extremely yeah. talented. They said it was an absolute blast. Uh, again, Kevin Hart tickets, a pair of them. We are giving them away here. Coming up next on the Pop Quiz, that would be 317 239 1070 a scan of today's pop quiz includes a lot of baseball i assume the kevin hart tickets will be enticing enough though for people to give us a ring we'll do that next here kevin and Corey. we have a slew of callers who have lined up hopefully not thinking that because of my error that they're getting tickets to 50 cent it is <laughs> kevin hart they a little the Pacers, different in size between well, 50 cent and kevin hart we have our, our news gathering partner here at the radio stations is wish television so one of the monitors that we have on we keep it on wish television just in case something big does happen in the city while we're on the air and they have been doing a lot of reports this morning understandably from gamebridge Fieldhouse, to celebrate the pacers opening night and i don't know what exactly it is because i didn't see, i can't hear the story i thought it was some but, sort of liquor but they've been running all night a, a cross promotion with 50 cent right the, the pacers partnered this season to uh distribute 50 cents liquor uh, sire spirits. Okay, they will got be it. one of in the exclusive partners. So they've been mentioning him all morning, which is why the Freudian slipped there when it's Kevin Hart. So he has a candy shop and a liquor? That's right. It's one stop shopping. Hmm. That music video is, was quite interesting back in the day. <laughs> I'd probably encourage people not to watch that at work. Not safe for work? Is nah, that what you're saying? But if you do have your free time when you get home. <laughs> All right, what number would you like to go with here? Uh, well, it's game one, right? So I think we reward fast fingers on this Wednesday morning. 
Caller number one, who do we have, Sam? All right, it's Mike. Mike, what's up? What's going on, guys? Good morning. Mike, you sound like a nice fellow. You've called the program before, right? Yep, I sure have. Mike, you a Kevin Hart fan? Uh, I think he's probably the funniest guy out there. <laughs> there well, you go. You're going to enjoy that then, yeah. right? Uh, yeah. <laughs> Mike, are you at work currently? Yeah. Yep, uh, yep. What line of work are you in? Uh, I work at Republic Trash Service. Been here 17 years. Oh, that's right. I think you told us about that. Yeah, that's cool. Yeah. Um, yep. Wonderful work. We have Republic. That is. Uh, now, Mike, you uh, grew up in the area, correct? Yeah. West Side. Went to Ben Davis High School. Played high school football for Tom Allen. Okay. Well, we'll speak slowly. Um, Mike. Hey. I'm just kidding. Uh, what, Brad Bowen taught him. I went to North Central. I've got to say that about that. Mike, when you I'm were a sorry. kid, who was your whose poster did you have on your bedroom wall? Like what athlete? What athlete poster was the first on your bedroom wall as a kid? Uh, actually, I was just texting you about this the other day, but it was Jermaine O'Neal. Okay, that's cool. I was, yeah, I wanted his jersey hung up in the rafters. Like I, he was my go-to when I was younger. So. so you and I were debating this, right? Because I was saying that Jermaine, the one thing, he was a wonderful player here. But even though they've made up for it since, he kind of left here under sour terms. We were debating that, yeah. right? Yeah. I mean, I respectfully disagree. I just I think that the, the brawl is what really done it, I, th- I think. Mike. played a part. But. Mike, uh, this is a little bit different topic. I was watching Tennessee this past weekend. I thought of uh, Ben Davis great James Banks. Didn't he catch a Hail Mary at Tennessee one he time? He did as a freshman. He did, yep. God, he was such a good athlete. He was so good, man. That was the best. James Banks and Katie Gerald's the two most dominant high school athletes I've seen in Indiana, and I saw Greg Oden for crying out loud. Uh, all right, Mike, would you like for me or for Kevin to lead you off? Uh, we'll go with Jay. All right, here we go, Mike. Question number one. Uh, last night, of course, the Phillies and Padres combined for just four hits in game one of the NLCS. What is the fewest number of hits two teams have combined for in a major league postseason game? Is it A, one hit, B, two, C, three, or D, four? Three. But not answer three, like C, letter C. Okay. It was a historic <laughs> evening last night. Okay. You, you said it was a historic evening? Yeah, last night was a historic night. Two. All right, number two, Kyle Schorber had an absolute bomb off you, Darvish, in last night's Phillies win. The homer went an estimated 488 feet, the longest home run in Petco Park during the StatCast era and the second longest postseason home run since StatCast started tracking distances in 2015. Who hit the longest playoff home run according to StatCast? I would not have gotten this right. Uh, Freddie Freeman, Wilson Contreras, Gary Sanchez, or Luis Robert? Um, can you repeat the first three? Yeah, Freddie Freeman, Wilson Contreras, or Gary Sanchez. Think about a football maker. Man. Think about a maker of footballs. Didn't they have a volleyball one time on an island? Yeah. I would go Wilson. (laughs) Uh, By the way, on, on question number one, Back to that real quick in terms of the fewest number of nothing uh, says you didn't get it right. Like for. let's go back to number one. The Beatles were also known as the Fab What? The number of members of the Beatles, the Fab uh, Four. Sorry. Okay. <laughs> yeah, well, I don't know why I said five. 
Okay. Back to question three. Uh, Mike's going to be laughing a lot at Kevin Hart. Mike, there's been no repeat winner in Major League Baseball this season. Who was the last man? I don't know what the no repeat winner in Major League Baseball this season. Oh, there will be no repeat winner. Sorry, I thought like this year. I'm like, nobody won back-to-back games. Uh, There will not be a repeat winner in Major League Baseball this season. Who was the last manager to win back-to-back World Series titles? Was it Joe Girardi, Bruce Bochy, Joe Torre, or Charlie Manuel? Uh, I would go with Joe Torre. All right, number four, Mike. The Guardians have now lost eight straight postseason winner-take-all games, the second longest in Major League history. Name the team that holds the record of losing nine straight series that went to a decisive winner-take-all game. Athletics, Twins, Braves, Padres. Um, man, let's go with the A's. Well, I guess here, are we? Is this really a four for five? <laughs> I don't know about this one. Mike is just kind of hanging around. All right, Mike, well, question number five. You've carried him like Byron Leftwich got <laughs> carried by his Marshall O-line back in the day. 65 years ago today, Maurice Rocket Richard, household name, became the first player in National Hockey League history. Um, Scotty's yelling at me something. Richard, sorry. Maurice Rocket Richard, which makes it all more that, that much more familiar for everybody. Uh, he is the first player in National Hockey League history to have scored 500 goals in his career. Who is the latest NHL player to have scored 500 goals? Is it Alex Ovechkin, Patrick Marleau, Sidney Crosby, or Marianne Hassa? Um, uh, the latest scorer? Uh, let's go Stills with Ovechkin. And, Stills and Nash loved this guy, by the way. You said yeah, Ovechkin? Ovechkin? Yeah. Okay. Let's see how he did. With a four for four asterisk, you still try to give him a clue there on the fifth one. Scotty hyperventilating over in the corner. The fewest number of hits two teams have combined for in a major league postseason game. Uh, After some convincing, uh, the Beatles did have four members, Jake. Is that right? They did. (laughs) Uh, Question number two. Wilson Contreras was the correct answer for number two. Number three was Joe Torrey. Number four was the Oakland Athletics. Sidney Crosby. (laughs) (laughs) Is it too late to change my answer? (laughs) Sam, we got to turn down Mike's mic here. Mike Mike thinks he can still sneak one in. Oh, I turned in my quiz. Can I have that back? It was the hint, right? The hint. Mike, you were just a little slow on the hint, but you got it, right? Yes. He went back to his desk. He consulted with some friends around him, and he'd like his <laughs> quiz Mike, back. you moron. It's Crosby, Stills, and uh, Nash. Not Alex Ovechkin. The correct answer is Sidney Crosby. What, which button am I hitting here? I, uh, you you, you got to hit no. Yeah. yeah. Unfortunately. Does he still get the tickets? Still yeah. gets the tickets. Stay Mike, you still get the tickets to so stay on the line. Mark Dykeman somewhere is cussing you out for <laughs> the amount of hints that you try to give there. Well, you know, I do what I can. Mike seems like a nice fella. Right? Uh, we'll do one final time here on Kevin and Query on this Wednesday morning. You are listening to Kevin and Query on 93.5 and 107.5. The Fan. You go to the Black Friday NFL game, Jake, or does that fall in your holiday category? Um... 
You know, I, I actually have always kind of enjoyed the out-and-about shopping aspect of Black Friday, notably because I, I would always run it. It was kind of like in your early to mid-20s, the night before Thanksgiving is fun because you go to the bars and you run in everybody who's come home from college, right? Same conversation with 37 people. And that's right. <laughs> oh, I haven't seen you. How you been? Yeah. So what's going on with you? Right. What's your name again? Yeah. Now, there was one guy that I... Geometry class? There was one guy that I grew up with who's a year below me, and one of those years when I saw him, it was right after college. What are you doing now? Oh, man, I moved to Seattle just hanging out. Cool. What what took you to Seattle? Man, I just the grunge movement is just awesome. Cool. <laughs> what do you do out there? I drive a forklift. You drive a forklift? Yeah, man. I just some some company that was like some warehouse and they needed employees and so I just filled out a temp agency and I got on and I drive a forklift. Okay. Yeah, he's one of the original 100 employees of Amazon. Oh boy. Yeah. No, he got the last laugh. Well, I guess he's really happy about this news then because the game will be on Amazon. <laughs> well, he, let me tell you something. He's watching it from his private island off the shores of the Pacific. An e- uh, Walker Lockhart, great dude, smart guy. Pretty intense Black Friday then for him. Yeah, that's right. Um, no, so I, I enjoy the shopping, going out and being out shopping out and about on Black Friday. But I also understand that you know those days of the brick and mortar stuff are fewer right. and further between. Yeah, three o'clock. Um, that's what the NFL has said. That will be the kickoff time for this game. So you know, if you want to do things in the morning, early afternoon, even at night, you'll still have that opportunity. I- I'm totally fine with it, Jake. My one issue is this, and I speak more from this market. I don't want this to interfere with the high school football state finals moving away from Lucas Oil Stadium. I love that Friday. Like, I think it's really cool it, that it is, they host the state finals, that Gamebridge Fieldhouse hosts the state finals. Um, I was talking with James Boyd the other day, and he was saying, like, the state of Illinois, like, it's not like Soldier Field, I don't believe. I could be wrong on this. I don't think Soldier Field is hosting the Illinois high school state finals. I think it's really cool that the state of Indiana does that, and I think it's cool that Friday and Saturday have become that, and I would like to see that continue. Yeah, I would agree Listen, I got, I, I got to watch how many times I say the word listen. In, in the state of Indiana, if you're a high school student, you are playing in the state finals, those that you mentioned, and then as well, Kevin, the natatorium. I mean, that's a state-of-the-art pool that has Olympic trials in it. There are a few things in this city, and I love Indianapolis, and I love so many of the traditions here. There are a few things about this city that are more special to me than the Friday after Thanksgiving at night to come down, have dinner downtown, the lighting of the Christmas tree, the cherub is out, the state finals, and you got people from all over the state walking around excited. The, the Pacers game on. tips at 8 o'clock Pacers because game of is the usually lighting on. of the tree it's a awesome. little later. All of it's awesome, yes. A personal story, if I may. Uh, when I was growing up in Zionsville, my brother was one of two quarterbacks for the Zionsville Eagles the year they went to the state championships and played against Jay Cutler and whatever that's school who they he played was against? from. Yeah. That's cool. From uh, Santa Claus, Indiana. And it Heritage was at the Hills, time. right? I'm sorry, say again? Heritage Hills? Yeah, there you go, Heritage Hills. And uh, at the time it was the RCA Dome, but it was still the same policy, state championships at the, you know, Colt Stadium. RCA Dome, yeah. And Lucas I was just Oil? talking about memories and what is so cool about it. Like, I mean, I think everyone in my family is cool, but my brother played video games with me and took me to see movies, so he was my hero, obviously. <laughs> And as a, you know, I think seven-year-old watching my brother in the state championships in the RCA Dome, 
like yeah, that's 27, awesome. and I carry that with me minute by minute to this day. Yeah, yeah and again, awesome. that's that's just one element that I don't want to see change. And I think having you know whatever it is, the odd classes on Friday, the even on Saturday, or vice versa, how they've handled that. I find myself this year. The Colts actually play on Monday night after Thanksgiving. They'll host the Steelers. I feel like the Colts typically play a home game on the Sunday after Thanksgiving in kind of that normal 1 o'clock slot. Uh, the press release the NFL sent out yesterday announcing this, Jake, um, no word yet on if Amazon has blackballed the Colts or the Broncos from playing in this game after their Amazon Boy, performance. The, the Broncos in particular, good Lord. Jeff Bezos is like, do not ever – I'm glad that we did those little tours of making every city think that we actually were going to move a headquarters there just because we actually wanted to get all the demographic and mailing information about their city and find out everything about them. But don't ever consider Denver if we go through that charade again. Yeah. Scotty points out Illinois High School State Finals uh, champagne. So the fighting Illini. Again, I think it's really cool that the NFL Stadium, Sam, that was a great story. I think that's there's a lot of people I think can kind of share in that. Now – Bezos, he is a Washington, D.C. resident right now. He seems to be rumored to potentially have commander's interest. Granted, I would think there would be some conflict of interest with the Amazon deal. I I don't know how that would all go I don't know. What what conflict of interest would there be? Can a broadcast partner also own an NFL franchise? I mean, a broadcast partner owned an NFL or a professional football league. Right? Didn't NBC own that United Football League or whatever it was called? Association of American Football or one of those? Yeah, I, I don't know. I just feel like a franchise and a direct partner might be a little different. I, I don't disagree with you, and I'm actually typically the first that overthinks those kinds of things. But in today's day, Kevin, it seems like all that stuff's out the window. Business is business, you know? I I I would tend to agree with you, and we're a long ways away. I don't want to act like that's imminent by any means, but just something that I think was floated around a little bit yesterday when you had all of the Ursay Daniel Snyder stuff. We'll see if anything happens today at the NFL owners meetings. Um, it's usually a two day ordeal from New York, and I believe the all owner meeting. There is a specific meeting where it's just Fox the owners, owned the Dodgers. In the room. Oh, well, I, maybe the NFL is different. That. Scotty I, points I, that out. I, I just interrupted you, which means another tantrum from John Herrick. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> Boy, you really let that one slip in there to end the show. I waited three hours and 54 minutes. Hey, can we get a Pacers prediction on the season? I go 32 and 50. I, Sam Fritz, what do you uh, got? Record-wise? Record-wise, 82 uh, you know games. I'm so optimistic that we're going to just use the draft picks we already have to trade up, 35. And then whatever the other number is. You can get some great odds there. Jake? 25 and 57. 47 would be my other number then. And that is a little bit more of a tank thought there, Jake? Like Buddy yeah, Hield and Miles yes, Turner are gone? Yes. I mean, I think they are in full-on... We are stripping it down, bare bones mode. Now, part of the reason why um, I went with 30, north of 30, is because, again, that trade deadline is like 50-some games into the season. It's not necessarily at the halfway point, so I do think you could get a little deeper into the season and uh, still have had your current core intact. But a new era of Pacers basketball begins tonight. Our radio coverage will begin at 6.30 right here. 
Mark Boyle. Is Eddie Gill doing radio? I believe so, yes. Home and away? I believe that's correct. So our coverage, Pacers-Wizards at 6.30. If you're looking for inside IU football, that'll be 10.30. Again, it's a home game tonight, a home game on Friday with the Spurs, and Saturday, the Pistons. Uh, Colts get back to practice here a little bit after noon as they have a huge one coming up on Sunday. The Titans currently favored by two and a half in that one. I am um, not going to the game tonight, but I'm going on Saturday, and I'm actually excited for this Pacers team back to that, by the way. Uh, you're going to see Jay Nivey on Saturday. That's right, yeah. Um, I think it'll be, I'm telling you, like, I think it'll be a fun watch this year. I Probably a lot of people will check out around mid-January, and I get that. I totally get that. I I brought up to Kevin during a break that I think a big challenge for Pacers for Pacers fans this year is to keep showing up because we, even in good years, were routinely bottom five in the league in attendance. And we, we got, like, from a sports fan base, if we want people to start noticing us and getting on TV for big games, we got to prove that we're showing up to these games. Now, Sammy, don't play for the Pacers, but yes, I understand. All right, we'll recap it all tomorrow, 7 o'clock. Thanks, everybody.